from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Proud to be here with you every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We're always giving you the two hours Monday through Friday, if not a little bit more. On days like today with the Fantasy Football Power Hour, we usually give you a little bit more. And definitely on Fridays for TGIF, we're on video and audio, and we we pack a punch on Friday, giving you at least like a three-hour show, and you can watch the second half of it with Collectible Corner with John Newman and Jordan Newman, as well as myself, on Facebook.com backslash LiveNowDT. We've been doing a lot more Facebook Live for our pregame shows, our Friday shows, and so much more, so make sure you check us out on there as well. So, so much coming up today. We can't waste a second. Let's hop into the morning menu. Here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We like to start off the show by giving you our menu of topics. The morning menu, that is, live now with the morning menu is Dan Tortora. Morning menu on this morning, that is Thursday, September 27th of the great year, 2018. So much coming up on today's show. I can't even stand it. I'm so excited about today. We have Papa Joe's picks coming up in just a second here. Papa Joe and I are going to discuss Kelly Bryant leaving Clemson, the new red shirt rule, and what he thinks about that. Coaching in today's world, and we'll make our college picks. Then after that, at around 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time, we'll have the American Athletic Conference Commissioner, who is no stranger to the show, comes on a bunch of times every single year. Mike Oresco will be joining me to speak on the Power Six. And then we'll get into coaching with class with Katie Kalinske, Kawhi Leonard, Syracuse football, and so much more. And, of course, we'll have the Fantasy Football Power Hour in the second hour of the show with Mike Sofka. So, without further ado, let's get him on to the show. Papa... Get ready for it. Joe! How we doing, Papa Jay? Good morning, Daniel. That's very nice of you to say that. <laughs> so what's going on, Papa Jay? How's the week been? Good, good. Weather's starting to cool down here a little bit. It's only 88 instead of 90, so still pretty warm. Papa Joe here with us this morning. Uh, there's a few things that, that I want to get into, kind of the big picture stuff with college football, one of them being that Kelly Bryant, who helped lead Clemson, you know, into the college football playoff, has a tremendous record as a starter. He was replaced by Trevor Lawrence. You know, this happens all the time where the young gun will come in and, and outseat the veteran. But in this situation, what was different is when Kelly Bryant got outseated, he said, listen, this is a slap in the face. He, he decided to leave Clemson and use the redshirt rule which gives him the opportunity that if he played four games or less, he can transfer to another school and play right away for that final season that he has in his situation because he would be a graduate, so to speak. What do you think about that situation, having a starting quarterback get told, you're not going to be our starter anymore, and then instead of being on the team in case there's an injury or for support or whatever it may be, he decides to leave instead and leave him high and dry? Well, I 
Bryant was a little bit selfish uh, in saying that. Uh, but let's face it, the young man uh, came into Clemson, had a good record, um, beat out a couple of uh, freshman quarterbacks for Clemson that, that have transferred on. He sat behind Deshaun Watson, earned his keep, played. Um, you know, he graduated already, which kudos to him. You know, he should be able to do this. Uh, maybe he overreacted a little bit to the uh, Trevor Lawrence thing, but I've been reading for two years about Trevor Lawrence in high school. I mean, this guy's got a cannon for an arm. He's tall, he's strong, he's fast. He's just a better player than Bryant. And uh, But I see where Bryant's coming from. He's paid his dues at Clemson. He's already got his college degree. He doesn't need to hang anymore. He's going to take advantage of a good rule, and he's going to play for someone next year. Bryant's no slouch, you know, he's... 6'3", 220s, big, tall, strong guy who doesn't have the arm that Lawrence does. But, you know, he's going to he's gonna catch on with someone, and I hope it's not in the SEC. I don't want to see him. <laughs> and when we look at a situation like this, the, the new redshirt rule, essentially what it does is, like I was saying, if you play four games or less in a season – you can salvage that season and you can utilize it for the future. Now, coaches can use it to their advantage by getting some young players out there, some true freshmen out there, and kind of seeing what what they have, giving them some experience, seeing what they're working with and whatnot. So it works for the college. It works for the program. But now Kelly Bryan is showing how it can work for the player. And like they say, you know, you're, you may not know every single circumstance or, or every single piece of, you know, once you put something out there, the repercussions of it. So there's benefits to the teams, but there's a benefit to the players. Do you like this idea? Because we've already seen a bunch of transfers in college football, but this essentially creates college football free agency. What do you think about that? I don't have a problem with it at all. As I stated earlier, Brian's already received his college degree. He's paid back Clemson uh, tenfold. Uh, he's a national champion. I mean, he's a, he's, a, he's a stand-up kid. He deserves another chance somewhere else. You know, the Jalen Hurts situation at Alabama uh, could morph into something similar to this, but I think Nick Saban's got that covered. I don't look at Hurts as being the same type of person that Brian is. Uh, Brian maybe have a little bit of an ego, but... Hertz has come from a football family coached by his dad. Uh, knew what he was going to get into at, at Alabama. It's not easy playing for Nick Saban. Uh, bringing Tua in, watching him get a national championship with him on the bench, getting beat out by him. I don't know if the Hertz situation is going to be akin to what Bryant did. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, but I look for Hertz to stick around. That coming from Papa Joe inside of Papa Joe's Picks this morning on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. I wanted to get into something that you and I had been discussing, and that's about coaches and the world that we live in today. Nick Saban, obviously, Alabama locks him up and throws away the key because he's a national champion repeatedly. He's always somebody who, if he's not a national champion, is in the national championship or in the college football playoff. So there is some connection with him to Alabama, but if he started losing, maybe not. So what do you think about the climate of college football? Because it seems to be that we live in a world of maybe a coach is there three or four years. There are some coaches that have, you know, Gary Patterson and Nick Saban. There are some guys that stick around, but there seems to be an awful lot of movement and an awful lot of jockeying of 
having this job so I can get this job and work this job maybe later. What do you think about the, the current state of college football coaching? And it, it seems like there's not a lot of long-term marriages, so to speak. Well, you're right. Uh, you know, the world revolves around sales and marketing. Uh, big-time coaches are no different. they got to sell themselves, number one, to the person that's going to hire them, number two, to the players that are, that are going to play for them, and number three, to the grandmas at, at the table he's sitting at. So, you know, they're salesmen, and uh, they, they go to the highest bidder. Uh, it's unfortunate that, you know, they, they spiel these lines to these kids. The kids love to play, and all of a sudden, after two years, uh, a kid is, uh, is sitting on a bench after a sophomore year. He's a five-star player. He can't crack the lineup. All of a sudden, the coach leaves. Uh, what does the kid do? The kid's, the kid's down and out. Uh, I have no objection to coaches uh, going to the highest bidder. Um, they're, right, they're, there's just no, there's no love anymore. It's, it's all based on dollars and cents. Uh, uh, in my business world that I came from, uh, I, would go to the, I would go to who would pay me the best. I mean, that, that's, that's the way it is. And uh, if, some, if, if, if Jimbo Fisher can leave a situation like Florida State albeit their facility is not as, as grand as some of the other big programs and leave and go to Texas A&M for seven and a half million dollars a year, anything can happen. Uh, but you know, the coaches are men They're, as I stated earlier, it's, it's sales and marketing and these guys are top salesmen, especially the urban Meyer. And the craziness of this all is that there's 130 FBS programs for college football division one, a, and they said that the average within the last couple of years here, or last year, I should say, the average tenure for an FBS football coach is 3.8 years, not even four years at a school, which means that you don't even have your entire team as all of the players that you've recruited. Thoughts on that? Um, that's a good one. That's a good question. Um, you know, I, I got a feel for the players here, too. I think maybe just a the NCAA should think about doing something like this. If a, if a student athlete is recruited to play football and go to school in, say, Alabama, maybe after a year or two, if the coach leaves, they should, they should have the determination to allow the kid to pick up and go somewhere else, too. I don't have a problem with that either. Uh, if, if Nick Saban told a certain recruit that he's going to do this, 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 and this at Alabama, and all of a sudden, Nick Saban leaves. The kid's left out. He's got to learn new season from a new coach, new athletic, new offensive coordinator. Uh, there should be something written in there where maybe the kids can go somewhere without having to sit out a year. Because we look at this situation, and, and like uh, you were just talking about, I want to get to that in a second here. We look at where the coaches are at as of right now. Bob Stoops, Oklahoma, 1999 came in. Kirk Ferentz uh, from uh, Iowa came in in 1999. Gary Patterson went to TCU in 2000, so he's been there for almost two decades. In 2005, Mike Gundy went to Oklahoma State. Frank Solick went to Ohio. Kyle Whittingham went to Utah. And, you know, obviously Les Miles is not at LSU anymore. But these are some. Rick Stockstill, Middle Tennessee, started there in 2006. Kenny Amatololo, the longest tenured coach inside of the American Athletic, Athletic Conference by 50 miles. Kenny Amatololo has been at Navy since 2007, so he's been there for over a decade. And then you look at Nick Saban at Alabama that went to Alabama in 2007 when Kenny Amatololo went to Navy. So 
you know, just uh, there, there's not many coaches that we can sit here and, and talk about tenures. And, you know, you even have to update it because I saw one that had less miles on it. Less miles isn't isn't there anymore. So, you know, that list that I read to you was, what, maybe 10 guys deep? So there's 130 teams. You got 10 coaches that stick around for a decade or almost a decade or so. That's a that's very, very slim pickings, you know. And, and for those playing the home game, if you look at the brass tax at all, 10 teams out of 130 means that less than 8% of the teams inside of college football are keeping their coach for about 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> Good, good, uh, good analysis, Daniel. Good analysis. Um, it's very difficult to get in the mind of these guys. Uh, some of the coaches that you just named, perhaps maybe money is not that big to them, although they do make really, really, really good money. Uh, the, the coach at Navy is a perfect example of that. He doesn't make a millions and millions and millions of dollars. He's a shaper of men. And uh, some of these other guys, they'd rather, they'd rather coach, they'd rather teach young men, they'd rather bring these young men to puberty, show them what life is about after football. That's why they've been at these institutions so long. Gary Patterson's a good example. He's an outstanding coach, great offensive coordinator, and a molder of men. And I think the, some of the men that you, uh, probably all the men that you uh, that you cited that have, have been in a school for over 10 years, that's exactly what they want to do. They want to mold young men and they want to, play good football if they win fine if, they, if you know i don't think they're going to get fired anytime soon because you know they're not super 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 real big programs yeah and you know a guy like pat fitzgerald as well i want to make mention of since 2006 has stuck around with the northwestern wildcats but again it's it's something that we very rarely see you know i'm looking i'm looking at the list of current coaches inside of the fbs and the overwhelming majority have started coaching their teams in 2015, 16, 17, and 18. I mean, that's, I mean, it's, it's crazy. You look at just the SEC and you say, okay, Texas A&M, Jimbo Fisher this year, Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee this year, Will Muschamp 2016 for South Carolina, Barry Odom in Missouri 2016, Mississippi State, Joe Moorhead 2018, Matt Luke of Ole Miss 2017, Ed Ogeron 2016 with LSU. You got Kentucky with Mark Stoops in 2013, Kirby Smart 2016 with Georgia, Dan Mullen this year with Florida. So the over, I mean, there's, you know, Gus Malzahn, he's, he's 2013 and you have, you know, obviously Nick Saban in 2007, but even the SEC, because some people say, well, you know, the American Athletic Conference, all their coaches are new every year because if they're good, then, you know, the Power Five will try and steal them. The SEC is is almost completely within the last four years a coach has taken over, if not the last two years, except in the cases of a couple guys. So even the SEC is is seeing tremendous turnover. So I don't think that anywhere is safe for a coach. I mean, some of these coaches are are swapping and taking jobs within the SEC or in other places. Some of them are getting fired, but it, it doesn't seem like colleges have a lot of connection, deep connection and, and deeply rooted bond with the coaches, nor do the coaches with the colleges. Because if I'm looking up and down this entire chart, a lot of this is 2016, 17 and 18, no matter what conference you look at, which is pretty sad because Syracuse talks about wanting longevity and that they don't have any. Syracuse is by far not the only team that doesn't have longevity with a head coach. You're right. Uh, Syracuse is a good, good example. 
you know, going back to the SEC, of course, that's my conference, and I, I know a lot about it. And But, you know, the, the budgets are huge in the SEC. The money is enormous. The SEC network pays these, these football teams millions and millions of dollars. Uh, you got to win. At least you got to be competitive or you're down the road. Uh, don't be surprised in the next couple of years if some of the coaches that you just named are going to be down the road, too. Uh, good example uh, of of leaving a really, really good situation is Coach Mullins at Mississippi State, who came to Florida. Um, Coach Mullins, I guess, didn't have that much. Uh, uh, well, he didn't. He just, I guess, he didn't want to stay at Mississippi State anymore. I mean, sure, he's getting six point one million dollars of Florida, a lot more than he was making Mississippi State. But the other coaches that you mentioned stayed, are staying in place with lesser talent. Coach Mullins got a lot of talent at Mississippi State. Florida's going to find out about it this weekend. I don't like Florida in this game, frankly, which I I hate to say, but I'm going to have to I'm going to have to say that. Um, situation in Syracuse is is like some of the other uh, colleges in the country where these coaches come in, they do a heck of a job. After two years, all of a sudden, boom, they get a big race somewhere. They go to a big school and they're forgotten. All right, your coach, Dino Babers. Uh, that man deserves something. I don't know what they're going to do at Syracuse, but he's not going to be there too much longer. It, it, I, I'd be surprised if he stays there past this year. He's an excellent coach. He's a great recruiter. And I look for him to just follow in the footsteps of these other coaches that after two years, if you, you turn on our program, uh, you go. You know, uh, Urban Meyer, a good example. He started at Bowling Green, for heaven's sake. What do you do in football at Bowling Green? Bowling Green to Utah to Florida to Ohio State, from probably a half a million dollars a year up to seven million dollars a year. That's the, that's the trail that these guys lead. I wouldn't be surprised if Coach Baber is going to wind up uh, with a good job somewhere. Well, and that's and that's the thing, you know. And and that was my notion going into the season is that irregardless of how the season goes, you know. I think that Dino Babers could leave after this season, and if not, then after the following season. The problem with Syracuse is that they need to they need to pay the man, and you know, and even then he still could. But it's tough because in the moment, and I think that true fans know this. In the moment of this season, enjoy it. He's your head coach. He's not going anywhere this season. You got him. But the reality is in the background of Syracuse can't seem to keep a coach who's successful. Doug Marone was successful. Him and Dr. Gross, not the greatest of relationships, but they had positive moments and he moved on. You got a you got a success you know, Dino Babers has proven at least that his offensive system is successful and without him, Syracuse has not defeated the likes of Virginia Tech, Florida State, and Clemson. So those are massive wins for the program. Some of the biggest wins that the program has had in decades, especially the Clemson win. And even though Florida State's down, it's still beating a team that they typically don't beat. And it's beating a historic team you know, who has been successful and won a BCS National Championship right before they start, started the college football playoff. So, you know, there's a lot to be said about where Syracuse had, what Syracuse has accomplished with Dino Babers. And then there's always that background of the better he does, you know, this really isn't a destination place. It's kind of part of the journey is how coaches have treated it. And so that's the catch-22. You want to enjoy Dino and have fun with Dino. And at the same time, Syracuse fans somewhat terrified he's going to leave, which is the sad part of all of this. And when you look at the ACC as a whole, eight of the 14 ACC schools have had their coach come in at 2014 or later. 
So it's not just wow. it's not just Dino Babers. We look at Justin Fuente came in after Frank Beamer had parted ways with Virginia Tech in 2016. Dave Clawson came into Wake Forest in 2014. Bronco Mendenhall to Virginia in 2016. Babers in 2016 to Syracuse. Pat Narduzzi in 2015 to Pitt. 2016 Miami Mark Richt, who left Georgia. 2014 Bobby Petrino coming back to Louisville. Willie Taggart this year with Florida State. So the, the longest-tenured coaches in the ACC are Dabo, or Dabo Sweeney, 2008 with Clemson, David Cutcliffe, 2008 with Duke, Paul Johnson, 2008 with Georgia Tech, and outside of that we have Larry Fedora with North Carolina in 2012, Doran in 2013 with NC State, and that's it. So, I mean, eight of the, eight of the 14 teams we're seeing – you know, their coaches turn over in some way, shape, or form in the last four years. So it's not just Syracuse. And it does say a lot that Dabo Sweeney, David Cutcliffe, Paul Johnson, it's a very short list of guys, Steve Adazio in 2013 to Boston, that, that have stuck around inside of the ACC besides Syracuse. Uh, good point. Uh, I've always been a Paul Johnson fan. love the way he plays football, runs the ball. Uh, it, it, it's great to watch. And, you know, he's not going to make millions and millions of dollars, and he's a molder of kids. He loves the system he he, he has there. Uh, he had it, I think, at Georgia Southern. Uh, and, you know, he likes to run the ball. But, you know, getting back to Syracuse, I I, I, I don't understand the AP poll. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm an SEC guy, but I, I can't understand why Syracuse is 4-0. They beat a couple of really good teams, uh, and yet – of the AP, the AP poll, they've only got 29 points out of, I don't know, 1,500, 1,600. How can a team that's 4-0 that beat Florida State soundly only have, 20, only have uh, 25 votes? I don't get it. Well, and that's the thing. We look at it right now at Syracuse with 25 votes in the AP, and in the coaches poll they were given 83 votes, so a lot higher here. But, you know, there is obviously some confusion in why – and, and that's the thing is, you know, and, and I was talking to people about this. I said, listen, if Sarah, I've been talking about it all week. If Syracuse is to defeat Clemson this weekend on the road, if it happens, Syracuse will absolutely definitely be ranked in the top 25. But I asked people, where would you put them? And they're like, oh, I'd put them in the, the top 15, top 10. I said, listen, you can't – it's not going to happen. Because UCF is 13th, UCF is 16 and 0 dating back to last season, and UCF smacked Auburn in the face, and that didn't change how the committee looks at them. The coaches poll and the AP poll both look at UCF as a middle of the road. They're going to put them 13th. God forbid they lose, they'll drop them. They'll drop them a lot of spots. They'll drop them five spots. They'll drop them four spots. They'll drop them seven spots, but they're not going to raise them seven spots or raise them five or, or raise them four. So that's that's the sadness of this all. So, you know, I look at a team like UCF. If they're not going to be respected, Syracuse is not going to be respected. I think if Syracuse beats Clemson, then they get in the top 25, but I don't know if they go higher than 20 because there is because they look at Syracuse and say, okay, is this a fluke? Syracuse hasn't been to a bowl game in a while. They put all the stuff from prior years into it. And the reality of it all is it should only be the here and now, right? When you're dating a girl, you can't talk about the girl you dated five years ago and what she did to you and this, that. You got to leave the past in the past. You know, you five years ago, I wasn't making the money. I was five years ago. I wasn't. Are you happy now? Then who cares about five years ago? 
And that's where I think, you know, Syracuse is going to suffer is if they beat Clemson, the committees are still going to look at five years ago, four years ago, ten years ago, and they're not going to give them the respect that they deserve. And unfortunately, I know fans want to see them in the top 15, and I don't think that either poll is going to let that happen. Well, I'd like to, I'd like to see them be competitive against uh, Clemson. I, I think they will be. Uh, Kentucky's a good example of that. I mean, they, they were nowhere. Uh, all of a sudden, they beat Florida soundly, uh, dominated both sides of the ball, and they're 17. So there's no reason not to think that Syracuse won't fly up the poles if they beat Clemson, although it's doubtful. Uh, we have to discuss that. Uh, you know, Syracuse on the road at Clemson is a, is a big job. If they're even competitive, I'd be happy with that. Yeah, you know, and, and, it, and it is. We look at how the poll is sitting right now, and all the 4-0s are on the top from Alabama to Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, LSU, Oklahoma, Stanford, Notre Dame, and Penn State. And then you have, and this is the thing that I never understand. Both of these rankers are so sold on the Pac-12, always and forever sold on the Pac-12 in recent history. They love Oregon, who's 19. They love seeing Washington, who's 11. Now Washington defeated, or they, pardon me, they lost to Auburn. They defeated North Dakota. They, they defeated Utah, and they defeated Arizona State. And somehow that warrants Washington being 11th in the country for losing to the one-ranked team they played and beating everybody else they were supposed to. So this is where the question marks come in, is why is Washington just outside of the top 10? And you look at a team like West Virginia, and you say, okay, they defeated Tennessee, who's not ranked, Kansas State, who's not ranked, and Youngstown State Penguins, who most people don't even know have a team. So, you know, these, these these are ranked in the top 15. If Syracuse defeats Clemson, they should be above the West Virginias and the Washingtons because you can't say that West Virginia and Washington have played better talent than Syracuse if Syracuse defeats Clemson. And that is something that I hope the committee takes into account and that all these voters take into account when they, you know, obviously not only vote with their head in these things, but seemingly vote with their hearts or the people that they owe something to, allegedly. Uh, good point, Daniel. Really good point. Uh, those are good teams, though. I mean, they're, they're not slouches. Uh, Washington's got a tough tough time this weekend. Uh, West Virginia, you know, Will Greer was a, was a quarterback for the University of Florida. And for some reason, something happened there, and he got pissed off at someone, or he wasn't playing, or this happened several years ago. And all of a sudden, he leaves the program, and Florida's been floundering since with quarterbacks. All of a sudden, the kid comes back. He's he's an older man. He's 20, 22, 23 years old. He goes to West Virginia. He's going to be an All-American. He's going to be a first-round pick. So, you know, West Virginia is being carried by, by Will Greer. Absolutely, and positively in that sense. And, there, I mean, it's just interesting how some people move around and what happens when they do that. East Carolina, one of their quarterbacks, did exactly that. Let's get into our picks really quick here with Papa Joe. There's a game tonight, Thursday, September 27th, North Carolina at Miami. North Carolina has been floundering in the last, the last season and into this season. They're at home against Miami. Is there any chance for North Carolina? No, no, Miami's too strong. Their defense is going to just overwhelm them. Uh, I like Miami a lot in this game. I'm going to pick Miami as well. Virginia at NC State. Virginia's quarterback, Bryce Perkins, is hurtling people in the open field. He just put the spank on Louisville. 
Will Virginia win on the road against a very successful Dave Doran at NC State? Well, I got to I got to say not Daniel. I, I like NC State in this game. I'm going to go this tough. I'm going to go with Virginia in this one. I got to pick Virginia. I respect the hell out of Dave Doran, but something is working right now in Virginia. I think that wave is going to ride at least a little bit longer. Tennessee at Georgia. Georgia's ranked two in the country. Tennessee so far this season has wins over not, not you know, East Tennessee and UTEP. They fall into Florida and West Virginia. Could Tennessee strike at all here, or is this Georgia's game? Uh, Tennessee playing cupcakes. He's not going to get it not going to get it done this week that georgia will overwhelm them and uh they'll probably beat them worse than florida did last week i'm gonna go with georgia in this one texas has been a little bit of an enigma they've won some good games as of late started out a little bit strange texas is going to kansas state any chance that this is upset city no no texas way too strong Tom Herman, people will let, you know, there was all these rumblings that they wanted his head in the beginning. Now, all of a sudden, they love the guy, and they're ranked 18th in the country. That, folks, is what it feels like to be in the Autonomous Five. I'm going to go with Texas in this one as... He's a very, very good coach. Very good coach. Did a great job at Houston. And uh, he, he, see, he wrote the coattails of his Houston teams to, to a good job with Texas. Here's a game that would have meant something to potentially the top five or top ten, if not the top 15. This year, it's not like that. Neither team is ranked. Florida State at Louisville. Florida State's struggling, and Louisville, I said this season, would have five to six wins in a year where they would have some tumultuous times. What do you think about this one? Well, Florida State beat a cupcake last week. Uh, They did show some offensive prowess. Uh, Louisville really, really misses LeBar Jackson, but... You know he's a generational type of player, so uh, I don't I don't see Florida State losing this game. I I think they just got too much talent on both sides of the ball. Uh, Louisville has shown absolutely nothing this year, so I I like Florida State here. And I guess I'm going to have to go with Florida State in this one as well. Although I think it's the battle of two teams that <laughs> that are not not doing what they need to do right now. Florida at at Mississippi State. What do we think about this matchup as Dan Mullen? returns to Starkville oh boy this is I've been circling this game since the beginning of the year uh Nick Fitzgerald is a marvelous quarterback uh he's got it all and you know Mullen is a quarterback guru Tim Tebow Dak Prescott Nick Fitzgerald he uh, he unlocked the ferociousness in Fitzgerald Fitzgerald can do it all he's got a can of an arm he runs he runs fast he's big tall strong Florida's got to keep him in the potting in the pocket. I, I don't know if Florida's defenses will be able to do that. God, my, my heart tells me that I got to stay Florida here, but I, I, you know, I, I just can't see them being Nick Fitzgerald at home. He's a, he's a super, super athlete. And uh, I'm looking forward to see him in the, in the NFL. I like Mississippi state here. Yeah, I think Florida is obviously in in that you know rebuild mode and trying to find the right things under Mullen. I'm going to go with Mississippi State in this one. We're going to do these two very quick: Ohio State at Penn State and Stanford at Notre Dame. What do you have for these? Oh boy, I'd love to see Ohio State lose. I think Penn State's got the got the balls to do it. Uh, James Franklin better come up with a good game plan. I, I'm going to say this is a pick'em game, but I like Penn State. Uh, I like Stanford over Notre Dame. I'm going to pick Stanford over Notre Dame, but I'm going to stay with Ohio State over Penn State. Dwayne Haskins, who was recruited by Syracuse, just too much on this for him. I just I see something special here. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in uh, two more really really quick. BYU at Washington. 
BYU is a very, very interesting team this year. They look like they don't have anything. Their offense is really struggling. Um, BYU in an upset here. I got BYU in this one as well because I believe that I picked BYU when they played Wisconsin and we were talking about it. Syracuse, and, I, and I'm just not sold on the Pac-12. They don't wow me. Syracuse at Clemson. Uh, my heart says Syracuse, but we're going to find out just how good a coach Dino Babers is. If he's got the talent on both sides of the ball that he thinks he has, that he can go toe-to-toe with Clemson. Uh, you know, we're going to, after the first couple of, after the first couple of series, you're going to see who's going to take over the line of scrimmage. If Clemson's defensive line just overwhelms Syracuse, it's going to be a long, long, long time. And I, obviously, Clemson's a better team, and Clemson should win the game, and probably Clemson will win the game. And I will be giving my thoughts coming up this week because we have a lot coming from the players and the coaches, so you'll hear from them in just a little bit here. As always, Papa Jay, I appreciate your time, appreciate having you on the show, and I'll see you very soon. Okay, Daniel. Bye-bye. Take care. And coming from Papa Joe, we'll take a quick step aside, come back with the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference and the team that is 16-0 inside of that conference dating back to last year, UCF. That'll be coming up in just a moment. This is a wake-up call, Fast Break. For all of us that have always wanted our favorite restaurant to come to us, it's now a reality in Central New York with It's a Utica Thing. With Utica Pizza Company bringing their wonderful recipes that they've handed down through generations to you, to your event, to your business, to your home. It's a Utica Thing. Proudly bringing Utica Pizza Company on wheels to your location. Call 315-738-8946. That's 315-738-8946 to bring Utica Pizza Company to your doorstep with It's a Utica Thing. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Very proud to be here with you every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time, if not a little bit later, as we do like to under-promise and over-deliver and give you some more of that show. we got a lot coming up today. I am more than happy to have this gentleman back on the show. He is no stranger to the broadcast, spends a lot of time with us, and that is Mike Oresco, Commissioner of the American American Athletic Conference and a commissioner of the Power Six. Mike, how are we doing today? Morning, Dan. Doing well, thank you. Hope you are too. Absolutely. And I want to start with with UCF because what I found to be interesting is that Pat Narduzzi, Pittsburgh's playing in Central Florida this week, and Pat Narduzzi, who I've spent a lot of time around, a lot of time speaking with, he had made the statement when they asked him about UCF, he said, well, we're playing a national champion. And there has, you know, obviously the NCAA record books has now regarded UCF as a national champion this past season. Pat Narduzzi, a coach going up against him, says national champion. Other people are saying it. Is it fair to say, is it a fair assessment, and do you feel like there should be no conversation of them not being a national champion? Oh, we support it because the the Kali uh, Matrix, you know, one of the computer polls that is recognized by the NCAA, named them a national champion. Why wouldn't you seize on that and why wouldn't you uh, proclaim that? But, you know, that's that's in the past. We're really focused on this year, Dan, and uh, and having all our teams do well and compete for either a playoff spot or a, uh, a New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I have no problem with uh, with that, and I'm glad people acknowledge it. I'm glad people refer to it. You know, I said all along that uh, 
UCF had cemented itself as a national brand, very important in the development of our conference, and this is uh, obviously evidence of it. And when we look at UCF, Mackenzie Milton, I put some polls out there that came back with an astounding yes for Mackenzie as far as Heisman hopeful. You know, you as the commissioner of this conference overseeing all of these 12 football programs, what can you say about Mackenzie Milton? Because I know that you, you know, you watch these games, you travel around and whatnot. He seems like one of those talents that's not just a talent inside of the American, but a talent nationally, especially when you go back and watch the tape. Oh, no question. Uh, but uh, to that, I would say, though, that we've had uh, a lot of players uh, who are, are national, you know, again, nationally recognized talents. And when you look at our NFL draft picks over the past five years, and we've had almost as many, virtually as many as the Big 12 the last two years. You had more than they did two years ago. Uh, we've had great players in this league, and they're in the NFL, and they're playing well. And they can play with anyone. And that's one of the problems, uh, I think, in, in alluding to that, Dan. Dan uh, and that is uh, this whole G5 business. You know, uh, McKenzie shouldn't be considered with the others because, you know, he plays in our league. That's nonsense. Uh, our league's a really good league, and uh, when you watch uh, Mackenzie Milton play, you realize he's a special talent. He really is. He could play for anyone. He would be an outstanding quarterback for anyone in the country, and believe me, there are plenty of top P5 teams that would love to have him. And, uh, you know, again, uh, I, I hope he gets into the Heisman conversation. I think it's more important that his team do well, and, and I think he feels that way. I think he's a team, a team player. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see where that goes, but he's a, he's a remarkable talent, but we've had so many great players, you know, when we did our, uh, five-year tournament team, Dan, uh, I think Keenan Reynolds ended up being our quarterback, but you know, that, that, that means that Blake portals and, uh, a host of other outstanding quarterbacks, you know, Greg Ward, and just many, many, many quarterbacks didn't necessarily make that, and look at how good they were. So, you know, this league's been deep. We have a lot of great players. We have a lot of great players this year. You know, you have Ed Oliver. You have Tony Pollard as a return man. Daryl Henderson might be as good a running back at Memphis as there is in the country. We can play with anyone. Our top players can play with anyone. Our, our teams can play with anyone. You know, uh, and, and again, uh, McKenzie, I think, is a reflection of that. Speaking here with Mike Oresco, the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference. Mike, like you said, you know, your, your players can play with anyone inside of the American Athletic Conference. I want to I go a little bit deeper into that because I know that you have the numbers and, and you, keep, uh, you keep track on all this as you should because the success rate is, is really remarkable and, and tremendous for this conference. And I know that coaches bring it up on the teleconference from week to week and whatnot. Just what you could say about you know, the quote-unquote Power Five that you, know, you have teams that are going up against these schools inside the SEC, the Big 12, the ACC, the Big 10, and the Pac-12. And you're getting a lot of victories throughout this. They're happening this season. They're happening every season that the American really has been around. Well, yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think we're up to 32 now over the past three plus years. You know, three, three or uh, four weeks into this season, uh, we've won six this year. Uh, we've got a few more that we could potentially pick up. Uh, obviously, there were a few games that we lost to to the Hurricane, but uh, we've we've typically done well against the P6 and we uh, the other P6 as we call it, Dan. But we also play a lot of those games on the road, and we play uh, some. Uh, where we don't get a home return, although fewer and fewer, you know, we're not that kind of conference now and we don't want to play those games. We don't have to, but, um, 
we uh, we've done very well against them. We've done well against bowl in, uh, against them in the bowl games. We were three and one this past year. We've won our three big New Year's Day bowl games against those kinds of teams. Uh, again, we uh, we can play with anyone, and I think UCF could have played with anyone in the playoff. I think Houston, prior to that, them, could have played with anyone. That UCF team that beat Baylor could have played with anyone. Uh, our best teams have always been in, in that, and, and that's true of most conferences. Most most conferences, the middle and the, and the, and the lower tier isn't going to necessarily compete with the top tier as well. Uh, that's true in every conference, and, and ours is probably no different. But we go six or seven deep with really you know really good teams. We've got a few now that need to be. Re- you know, programs that need to be rebuilt, but only a few. And we've seen tremendous progress with Cincinnati and East Carolina. They contributed a lot to the league in the early days. They fell back, but now they've hired, uh, you know, people or coaches that are rebuilding them. So uh, this this league is never going to just stand still and, and accept mediocrity in any way, shape, or form. Mike, you, you had made the statement, obviously, when you look at the the other P6, as you call it, inside of the American Athletic Conference and the success that you've had. One of the arguments from the outside looking in that I've heard in, in you know, because I'm sitting here ringing the bell as well, and I have since the beginning seeing what this conference was capable of doing and just how you put everything together and what was really a storm in and of itself with realignment. So when we look at this, one of the arguments on the outside is, okay, they're playing. They're playing other teams. You know, they're playing teams in the Big Twelve, the Big Ten, the ACC, the Pac-12. You know, the SEC, and so on. But they're not playing the the top team, the upper echelon, the number one. You had just made the statement of, you know, we don't have to play these games like maybe we used to because we're not going to force ourselves to have to play this if we don't have to. And that was the argument I sent back is, you know, Alabama's not going to schedule UCF because there's a chance they could lose that game. They don't want to lose a non-conference game. So I looked at it from the other side of things is, why would Alabama have UCF when there's a chance they could lose? And why would UCF have Alabama if, if they know they don't need it? So just where you can say things are at from that perspective, because there is that argument out there of have the best teams of the American play the best teams of everybody else. But I don't think it's it's on your side. I think it's on the side of, of those other schools saying we don't want to be in those games because we don't want to go out of our non-conference schedule with a loss. Well, first of all, we um, we play a lot of the really top teams. And uh, what I was alluding to, Dan, was the bye games, you know, just going up and playing at Ohio State or at Michigan uh, and not getting a return. Uh, I'm not fond of those games. Uh, we do a few of them from time to time, uh, but that's what I was talking about. We're willing okay. to play anyone. We've got home and aways with Oklahoma coming up uh, in the next uh, in the next decade. We've got home and aways with Miami, home and aways with Penn State, home and away. You know, we have a home and away with Stanford, UCF. They get Stanford next year. They get Wisconsin next year. We played the top teams. We played Oklahoma and Louisville, Houston a few years ago uh, when they were both number three in the country. Uh, we we've played no we play Notre Dame. Uh, Temple's played them. Navy's played them. Uh, we have uh, games against uh, you know UCLA. Obviously, they're not uh, uh, at the top of their game now, but they will be. We have a series with UCLA. We had series with Ole Miss when they had just beaten Alabama. Uh, we have uh, Missouri on the docket this year. We've got uh, you know game after game after game. We we're at probably about 140 to 150 games over the next 10 years against the uh, the P5, and a lot of those are their top teams. I mean, when Temple has a home and away with Penn State, well, we have a Florida series. We have Florida and uh, USF, and Florida under Dan Mullen is going to come back. Um, so we've got 
the games that uh, you know we we uh, want to play. Want to play more of them. And you're right, some of those really top tier teams uh, don't seem to want to play us, at least in a home and away, or even a two for one. You know, they uh, we'd love to play. Uh, you know, some of those teams. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, we we're looking at teams like Colorado and Utah and others and LSU. Uh, you know, uh, we've been talking, some of our teams have been talking to LSU about a series, uh, which, which could, could well happen. We've got Auburn on the schedule over the next few years. We had Texas this year, obviously with, with Tulsa. Uh, we, uh, you know, we, we've just got a bunch of those games, Dan. So we don't shy away from playing anyone. And, uh, that's how we've built this league. Really look at the high profile wins we've had, you know, and, and, uh, Temple almost beat Notre Dame a few years ago when they were ninth in the country. They did beat Penn State by 17 points. UCF has beaten Penn State over the last five years, almost beat them twice. You know, we've beaten Louisville a few times. We've had uh, success against a lot of top teams. And, uh, again, that's how you build your brand. That's how you build your league. We wish that uh, we could get even more of them. You know, uh, some of them uh, just, uh, just you know, won't play us. But that's, that's changing. I mean, they, I think they realize we're a good league. I think they realize they'll get credit, <clears throat> excuse me, from the College Football Playoff Committee. I think, uh, you know, scheduling uh, – exigencies mean that uh, we we can get those games i mean the proof of the pudding is the 140 to 150 or so that we scheduled already um and uh we'll continue to do that that coming from mike oresco the commissioner of the american athletic conference and mike you and i have talked about this a lot i want to get into uh two things that are really really big but but really quick on this one just what you can say about, you know, is this conference to the point where the conversation should be over by now and there should not be a continuation of a, is it this and is it that? I mean, I think that you have well passed this. I think that your docket has shown this. I think that if you sat down with a binder and open up the binder, there's more than enough information to state your case. Do you feel that way at this point? I do. Uh, on the other hand, I also recognize that it's always a, a struggle to uh, when you've been relegated, as we have, uh, to this, this so-called G5 status. It's always a struggle to get back. You know, you, you just have to keep making your case. Uh, but yes, I think we've done enough. And, and look at this year's another example. We, we had a great year last year. We had a team that was obviously uh, at the top uh, and could have played and beaten anyone and proved it by beating Auburn uh, the way they did in the Peach Bowl. We've had teams like that before, Houston a few years before, UCF again prior to that, Memphis, other teams that are as good as any in the country uh, and have played really well and, and had big wins. So we've done it. But, you know, we we still have to worry about the perception. It's, it's going to be there, Dan, until we actually become an official autonomy conference or, you know, uh, and, then, and then we automatically, I guess, become a P6, uh, so to speak. That's going to take, uh, you know, a little more time, but we're going to. You know, we're going to continue to, to do what we're doing. I do think, though, that, uh, as you said, we've done enough. I mean, this year is a perfect example. You know, we've had a great year. Uh, you know, uh, Cincinnati wasn't expected to get out and beat UCLA in the opening game at, at the uh, Rose Bowl, and they did. And then we had the two the two wins in our national doubleheader on ABC, uh, Houston demolishing Arizona and, uh, you know, uh, USF coming back to beat a Georgia Tech team that will be competitive in the, in the a- ACC. Uh, and then we had a surprise win, East Carolina demolishing North Carolina. And, uh, you know, again, this is early. Uh, we're, we're hopeful to uh, that we can get a few more of those wins. But we've had a good uh, good opening uh, month. Uh, I, I just think this conference, you know, will just continue to get better. We recruit better. We, uh, we have a great exposure. We have a brand now. Uh, and I don't see why we can't sustain and build on this success. 
Two final pieces here with the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference. Going off of what you said, you know, the build toward autonomy, is that a hope and a desire and a, and a reality down the road for this conference? I really think it is. I know there are skeptics, and, and I, I understand why there would be skeptics, but it's not like the world doesn't change, Dan, and, and things don't move. I mean, TCU was out in the wilderness for how long, and now, you know, they're in the Big 12. Uh, and, you know, if our programs were suddenly a P6, uh, all it would really be doing is, uh, you know, essentially establishing what they've already done, you know, in a more official way. Uh, I, I think that uh, – we can get there. I really do believe that. I know, I, again, as I said, I, I know there are skeptics, but as I did say in my media day speech, you know, there would have been a lot of skeptics around George Washington and his colonial army when they were fighting the British and they wouldn't have been given much chance, but uh, they, uh, we all know how, how that one turned out. And in our case, uh, we have surprised everyone over our five year existence. We're in our sixth year now. Uh, as a reconstituted conference, why can't we continue to do that? Um, so I, I do think that we've got a real shot. I, I think it's going to be hard, uh, Dan, to keep us out. I really believe that because the system won't have credibility if our teams are really good and we, uh, you know, we just don't have the kind of, uh, you know, shot that the others have, or we don't have the kind of recognition. Uh, and, and we'll press the issue ourselves. Uh, you know, we've got a few things to do before then. But um, I do think it'll happen eventually. That coming from Mike Resco. Final note, Mike, we just saw this week Kelly Bryant transferring out of Clemson, uh, utilizing the red shirt rule. If you play four games or less, the new rule that was instituted going into this season, four games or less, you save the year. And he's going to utilize that to become a free agent, essentially. Does the red shirt rule work? Do you like it? I know it's early, but do you like the rule? And then on the other side of it, could this create some professional free agency kind of look to college football that maybe wasn't anticipated? I think the transfer part of it is an unintended consequence of the rule, Dan. And, that, and you know, anytime you do something, you're going to have unintended consequences, some of which you can foresee, some of which you can't. In this particular case, uh, I think it's going to have to be reviewed uh, from that standpoint. On the other hand, we've supported it and we still do. We think that it is a, a good idea because uh, too many players uh, had to burn a redshirt year because they, they were forced into play. I know that they were injuries and other things, uh, you know, kind of caused them to be to be put into games and their coaches didn't really want to do it, but sort of had to. You know, depth is an issue. College football's, uh, you know, a tough game. A lot of plays in every game. You know, hundreds of plays, and you can wear down the players. Uh, I like the rule. I think it gives uh, you know coaches a lot of flexibility. It gives kids a chance to get you know a taste of competition without burning an entire year. That would have been helpful in a couple of cases I can think of in our league, uh, and there probably were plenty more. So I, I think overall we like the rule. Uh, but again, unintended consequences uh, regarding the whole transfer business. And, you know, again, I don't know, maybe some people wouldn't wouldn't see that as necessarily a negative, uh, but it's clear that, um, you know, uh, people may not have really focused on that part of it. That coming from Mike Resco inside of the American Athletic Conference. Mike, as always, I appreciate your time. I know it's valuable, and I look forward to speaking with you soon, and, and I hope nothing but the best for you this weekend, and we look forward to catching back up here on the show. 
Well, thanks, Dan. Appreciate your support for the conference, and I uh, hope we've rewarded it by being very competitive nationally and, and trying to, uh, you know, again, uh, you know, play at the highest level. Uh, but again, I appreciate it very much, and then we'll, uh, you know, I think we'll have a good season. Uh, we're excited, and uh, there'll be some good games ahead. Uh, and thanks again for having me, and uh, good luck to you, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again down the road. All right. Sounds good. Take care. Take care, Dan. Take care. Bye now. That coming from Mike Oresco, the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference, the leader of the conference. And, you know, he said, hopefully we've paid you back by you being so good to us and speaking about us and promoting us. Hopefully we've paid that back to you. And you know what? They have. Because the quality of the people that they brought in, the talent that they recruit, the coaches that they get, and, you know, the personalities, too. I mean, the biggest thing to me is that the American Athletic Conference is led by a bunch of coaches who give me their time every single week and are kind, are forthcoming with information, treat me with the utmost respect, and those are the things that matter to me more than anything. Wins and losses are going to come and go. I'm going to remember the people. And so there's good people within this conference, throughout this conference, and not just that, they are winning. So the good people is what I look to. Then I look to, okay, well, what are these good people doing? These good people are successful. And I have this crazy belief that if you're a good person who does things the right way and, don't cut, and doesn't cut corners and does everything to the best of their ability and tries with everything they got and believe in a higher power is going to meet you halfway, that things work out. Case in point, Memphis, Houston, UCF, USF, and so Temple, and so on and so forth. These teams are not cupcakes to play. I'm not putting on my schedule Temple and saying, okay, I'm going to win that game definitely. I'm not putting Memphis on my schedule and saying, I can't, you know, th- that I'm going to stop them from scoring nine times out of ten. I'm not even putting Tulane on my schedule, who I know their record doesn't show it under Willie Fritz in these last two seasons plus, but they're always in these games. Tulsa is another one of those. They're always in the game. They're in these games, they play these games tight, and they may not close it out, but Tulane's not getting blown out by 30. You know, they, they have a bad game, obviously, this season that they play against a team that I think right now is in the college football playoff with Ohio State. So, yeah, they lost that game by 43, but I'm saying that is not a normalcy for Tulane. Okay, there's a lot of teams around this country of the 130 that are out there that would get spanked by Ohio State by a lot of points. Okay, Penn State trounced Pittsburgh, and I don't think Pittsburgh's that bad inside of the ACC. Cincinnati started 4-0 so far this season. UConn is rebuilding and on its way back with Randy Etzel, who knows the talent, especially the talent of Central and Upstate New York. So there's some good that's there. They've struggled to score the ball way before he came back. Bob Diaco struggled to score the ball for years upon years upon years before Randy Etzel returned. SMU just got their first win under Sonny Dykes against Navy. So there are some good things that are inside of this conference, a lot of good things inside of this conference. And UCF, that speaks for itself. Mackenzie Milton is a Heisman Trophy. In my opinion, he's a Heisman Trophy finalist. In my opinion, UCF is one of the best teams out there in college football. If you want to prove me wrong, then I hope your team goes and plays them. Because whoever they've gotten, they've taken down including Auburn, which I think was a game that was set up by the college football playoff committee and said, okay, you know what? They want to be in the college football playoff. They're not going to be, but throw throw Auburn at them and, and have them kind of understand where they are and where they sit in reality, and then they'll leave us alone. Then they spanked Auburn. 
in regulation. No overtime. They just beat them. They went up and down the field, and they beat them knowing that their coach wasn't going to be there. He came back with the staff, coached the team, and then was leaving. So not only was UCF against against the big, bad SEC and the big, bad Auburn, and the big, bad Auburn who defeated Alabama and Georgia, but they were also dealing with a coaching change and all the emotions and everything that goes along with that, having a coach in Josh Heupel coming in but not coaching the team and Scott Frost coming back. And they found a way to win with off-the-field issues and on-the-field, no, very rarely anybody giving them any credit for anything. And that happened back in 2013 against Baylor in the Fiesta Bowl where they said Blake Bortles had no business and UCF had no business and how could the committee – put them in this game. They are not a good team. They will get embarrassed. They're, this was a wasted spot. And then they killed Baylor. The reality of it all is the American Athletic Conference is rich. It is fruitful. And if you don't believe me, why are they sending guys to the NFL? And why every single year are coaches around the quote-unquote Power Five looking to poach from the American Athletic? Not poach from all over, but predominantly come to the American Athletic and there's always that suspicion that they're looking for somebody. And even the Big 12, who was talking about threatening realignment, again, the American was the conference that was brought up within it. So this conference speaks for itself. They work hard every single day. So to Mike's credit and to the credit of all the institutions, God bless and much appreciation respect to you. There are 13 teams in the conference because Wichita State is there outside of football, and Navy is there for football, and you know as as an you know so they're they're in it for football, but then you don't see them for other things, and then Wichita State. So it's it looks like twelve how you're looking at it, depending the sport. But there's thirteen altogether, and this conference is tremendous. And like I said, it being led by the people that it's led by, that's why. And Mike Oresco more than anybody else, that's what makes it. What it, what, that's what makes it special to me, in my opinion. We'll take a step aside for a fast break. We'll come back with Katie Kalinske in coaching the class a little bit later today because we want to make sure we got Mike on the broadcast here. So Katie will be up right after the break, and then we'll get into fantasy football after that. This is a wake-up call fast break. This is Jimmer Sikowski, owner-operator of Chick-fil-A Cicero, 7916 Brewerton Road in Cicero, right in front of the Home Depot. I had a deep feeling that God wanted me to do something bigger with my life and to help people, help others. I kept putting Chick-fil-A in my life, and I realized as I was going through the franchise selection process that uh, positively impacting the lives of others was really core to what we do here at Chick-fil-A. First of all, it starts with the food. The food is brought in fresh daily, you know, we bring in local produce, we prepare to order in the kitchen, we hand bread our chicken, we hand spin our milkshakes. It's it's great food. It doesn't taste like fast food. I, I think the second thing is is the way people feel when they come in a Chick-fil-A restaurant. It's different. We, we try to treat people with intentional kindness here, which is very different and deeper than good customer service. And so you know, I think it feels remarkable for most people to come in a Chick-fil-A restaurant. And then lastly, the impact that we try to have in the community is very different. It's a big part of the expectation of every operator of a Chick-fil-A restaurant is that they're actively engaged in their community, they're a leader in the community, and they're, they're making a difference. When they realize that what we're striving to do 
is to shine a little light in their life, that's a very, very different experience uh, than you will have in any other quick service restaurant. And it's that remarkable experience that I think people will emotionally connect with. I'm George Townsend of Honda City with some good advice when buying a new car. The true cost of owning a new car is determined by the appraised value when you trade it. No vehicle appraises higher than a Honda. Next, look for low APRs and deep discounts. You also want low maintenance costs and great fuel economy. That's why my advice to you is to buy a new Honda. Looking pre-owned, visit our Honda Certified Used Car Center. Honda City, 7140 Henry Clay Boulevard, Liverpool, or hondacity-cny.com. It would be a pity if you don't shop. For all of us that have always wanted our favorite restaurant to come to us, it's now a reality in Central New York with It's a Utica Thing, with Utica Pizza Company bringing their wonderful recipes that they've handed down through generations to you, to your events, to your business, to your home. It's a Utica Thing, proudly bringing Utica Pizza Company on wheels to your location. Call 315-738-8946. That's 315-738-8946 to bring Utica Pizza Company to your doorstep with It's a Utica Thing. Gear up with the real deal at Dreisig Apparel. Creating what people are going to see and learn about you before they even meet you. Gear up for what you need for your team, business, or event. To look professional, look good, and feel good, outfit yourself at DreisigApparel.com. That's D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G Apparel.com. The only place to gear up with the real deal. What's the universal language of a fan? Clapping your hands. With Fan Hands, the ultimate sports fan accessory, find your team color, slip them on, and start cheering on your favorite team with 11 different colors always in stock on FanHands.com, where you'll find the ultimate sports fan accessory. Real fans wear Fan Hands. Utica Pizza Company spells family, your family, my family, their family. The recipes that they have shared with each other throughout the years and have now been so gracious to share them with us. I can sit here and talk with you about all the great things that are on the menu. We'd be here forever. So let me say this. Utica Pizza Company is second to none. And now you can bring it home with you and you can dine in in the restaurant. UticaPizzaCompany.com will give you all the information that you need. And let me say, these Utica Greens... They're the best. Utica Pizza Company. Call them and place your order at 315-214-3060. That's 315-214-3060. Families break bread at Utica Pizza Company. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash DT. I'm very happy to be at this part of the show, coaching with class with Katie Kalinske. It's Thursday mornings in the first hour of the show. Katie Kalinske spent seven years under Jim Bayheim at Syracuse and is now the Director of Basketball Operations for Women's Basketball at the University of Buffalo for the Bulls. Very happy to have Katie on. And, and Katie, I got to I gotta welcome you. You know, the only uh, way that I <laughs> know how. How are you doing today? <laughs> Yeah, I'm great today. Uh, I think I think today's gonna be a great show. 
Um, I think, you know, I could talk basketball all day. So the fact we get our segment at once a week is, I love it because I, I think, you know, if we had it our way, we would go on for 10 <laughs> Yeah, I think we wouldn't. And for the people that don't know why I made that weird sound, that uh, the Kawhi Leonard laugh, you know, this is something that apparently there's been an evolution. I watched it here in the studio and I can't even, you know, I do impressions for a living and I can't even perfectly kind of do because it, it looks like he's struggling. It's kind of like he does a lip quiver. He thinks he wants to laugh. He backs out of it. Then he goes deep into it. Then he backs out of it really quick. So it's kind of like a, <laughs> what was your question? So what do you think about the evolution of, of Kawhi Leonard? The the socially awkward man that he, I mean, he is. I mean, he just, he's, and I'm, it's not a knock on him. I'm just saying he seems to be someone who, you know, he's really good at playing basketball, but he he's an interesting person. I think, you know, people, so I really, people's personalities really intrigue me in general, you know, just seeing how they interact and, you know, what they say and what they do. And he's probably one of the most intriguing people I've ever met. Um, just because you don't know anything about him. Like, you don't know who he's dating. Um, you don't know who, what he does in his free time. You don't know where he's hanging out. I don't think he has social media. If he does, I have never seen a post by him. And, you know, but he's one of the best players in the whole country. And, it, and it's just, it, or in the planet. And it's so intriguing to me because that laugh, like, I laugh. I have not laughed this hard in so long just hearing his laugh. You know, it, it's just so funny. Um, and that, like, it's like he finally got his, like, press conference, whatever, and he gets asked questions, and he doesn't even know what to say about himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, if you want me to describe my personality, you know, there's not really much I could say or give you like a long answer to like what you want to hear. And I don't even know where that guy's at. Oh, there he is. <laughs> Next question. Like it doesn't, I mean that normally when you ask somebody to describe themselves, it doesn't start with, I don't know what to say about myself and end with an awkward laugh and asking where the person is sitting in the room. So again, I miss DeMar DeRozan a lot right now. Too that he just is good at basketball or like basketball. <laughs> <laughs> he's good at he's he's good at bat. I mean, let, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna let, let's see what he says here. Let me pick this up for us to hear. Hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna play this for everybody. Let me get it all set up here. Here we go. For me to tell you about myself, I just can't give you a whole spiel. <laughs> I don't even know where you're sitting at. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally all he said. He said, for me to tell you about myself, I really can't give you a whole spiel. Then he asked where the guy was sitting and never answered the question. It, it's not even funny. Like, in general, you know how you say something funny at press conference? Like, oh, I don't even know where he's sitting. Like, that wasn't even funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, you know, the thing is, they say that Jim Beheim can be a man of few words or, you know, Jim can kind of brush stuff off and whatever. But I've never seen Jim Beheim not answer a question to the caliber of Kawhi Leonard. So maybe it goes Kawhi, then Coach K, then JB. I don't know. But, I mean, it's to answer a question about yourself and the answer is I don't really know what to say. Where are you sitting at? <laughs> I mean, I just I don't get it. I don't. I try, but I don't get it. Yeah, because I, you know, uh, being around Coach Beheim, you know, he his personality intrigues me too. 
Um, but after, you know, being around coach for seven years, like, you just realize he's just a mastermind and just he's great at what he does, you know? Uh, Kawhi, I don't really know. I don't know if he's a mastermind or just downright crazy at this point. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't really know what to think right now. I'm. I'm a little bit scared. Uh, I'm a little bit uncomfortable. But Kawhi Leonard, back in 2011-12, came into the NBA. Let's talk about you know what he has done. He had 7.9 points per game as a rookie, and he had about uh, three five rebounds a game. So about eight points, five rebounds a game. Next season, about 12 points, six rebounds, then 13 points, six rebounds, then. 16 and a half points and six rebounds and 21 points and five and a half rebound or pardon me uh, 6.8 rebounds and then 25 and a half points and 5.8 and then he started off last season before he got hurt with 16 points a game and about five rebounds so the man has trended up he's gone from seven point you know almost eight points a game to 12 to 13 to 16 and a half to 21 to 25 and a half before only playing nine games last season. So he has trended upward offensively. He is a national champion. So there is some, you know, besides the the socially awkwardness and the laugh and the, you know, just general confusion around who this man really is, he's a pretty fine basketball player, we can say, statistically. Yeah, and it also makes you wonder really what happened behind the scenes with him and Coach Pop last season because just think about this guy as awkward as he is and different. And, you know, I think it's okay to be different in this world because, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. But it's just so interesting to really know, like, maybe what happened behind the scenes with him and Pop and how those interactions were. Like, I wonder if they were even, like, what type of conversations they have or what type of conversations Kawhi has with his teammates, you know, like. That's a big part of it. Maybe he just leads by example. You know, his quietness reminds me of Tyler Roberson. <laughs> but I've never heard Tyler Roberson laugh like that. Never. But when Tyler laughs, laughs it's fun. <laughs> so now, now, how is how is Tyler's laugh as com- comparative to Kawhi's? Uh, no, it's not. It, it's definitely not like Kawhi's. But like, you're just not used to Tyler laughing just like Kawhi. So when he laughs, you're like, oh, like you you do laugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that I mean, and that's the thing with with Tyler Roberson. I remember interviewing him because I spent a lot of time with him while he was at Syracuse and I just remember him sitting there at his locker and he would kind of just like laugh not loud but he would kind of just smile snicker and then like turn his head to the side and then there were other times where he was just very very quiet very locked in very serious I mean he was he was somebody that you know it was good to see him smile but you know he he definitely was more of the internist so to speak you know it was it was more about not really showing a lot of of you know what he's feeling or maybe thinking or whatever it may be he was more of of the quiet one Kawhi Leonard I I don't if I was an FBI agent right now and they told me to investigate I I don't know what I would come back with (laughs) I don't think anyone would come back with anything uh, with him it's so intriguing and I I love people like that because you know, you can just study him, and you might never know, ever. <laughs> you know, you might never know what he's ever thinking, but, um, you know, there's got to be some, some people close to him. He did bring in that one person from the Spurs, you know, his close friend, so hopefully they have some type of dialogue. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it'll make some sense here. Coaching with class with Katie Kalinske here on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora every Thursday in the first hour of the show, and definitely, you know, with all jokes aside and, 
you know, the, the con- confusion aside, Kawhi Leonard definitely has something to bring. I thought, and as I spoke with Katie about here on the show numerous times, I thought that Kawhi would have been a good piece to add to what they had, but not to take away and then put him on the team. I think if it was DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry, Jonas Valanciunas, and Serge Ibaka and Kawhi Leonard, then now we're talking. But to have to lose the best player on the team is really difficult and sad. And there was something that came out uh, recently on the other side of this trade that Coach Popovich is not going to change the way DeMar DeRozan plays. He's not going to ask him to change. And I thought that that was an interesting kind of line, you know, a a, a kind of a a breaking news. Because DeMar DeRozan, I mean, I wouldn't imagine that you would want somebody to change who can score 40 points in a game and be electric and be a leader and be somebody who people can obviously rely on and lean on. When I see things like that, it confuses me. What do you think about about that, Katie? You know, the, the notion of, you know, watching film on DeMar DeRozan and then having something come up on the TV that says, Coach Popovich will not ask him to change his game. I was like, why would you ask a successful player to ever change their game? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, at the end of the day, you want to have guys come in that can fit your system, you know, so I think it it does a little bit, you know, even though as great as he is, you might have him change maybe like a couple of things that can fit his system, you know, like obviously the Spurs, they really move the ball, they really have, you know, he, he has his system down pat. And, but I think, like, I think you said at the end of the day, that's like asking Durant to come into Golden State, who has the same type of system with, you know, ball movement and plays and, you know, how they play. And, you know, Curry's not going to change. So, um, you know, like, they, he never changed Durant's game coming there, you know. So I think it's like the same type of situation. But I think it's kind of silly that it's even talked about, you know. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of doesn't make a lot of sense to me in the here and now. Speaking here once again with Katie Kalinske. Katie, to to take a look at the NBA before we jump to a, a couple other topics here this morning, Lonzo Ball, LeBron James, you're a big Lakers fan. You're a big LeBron fan. We know this, and, and people that have listened to Wake Up Call with Dance Tour know this. What are your thoughts on Lonzo and LeBron together? Can they play together? Can there be a healthy marriage of two guys that seemingly want the ball in their hands. Well, yeah, I think um, I think they can only make each other better because at the end of the day, um, you know, LeBron had to bring the ball up in Cleveland. Like they didn't really, when Kyrie left, they didn't really like even last year have that guy that could control the ball. You know, so LeBron was asked to do a lot. Now it's like they have Lonzo who can bring the ball up and have the ball in his hands, and it's only going to make LeBron better because you're going to be putting so much pressure on guarding LeBron, and it's going to open up the offense completely because Lonzo is a true point guard, and he, he's going to be able to find LeBron, and I, I just think it's going to be fun watching them play off of each other. Um, and then, you know, they have a couple other pieces, young pieces, that I think I think the Lake Show, like, people don't realize it yet. They're going to be a fun team to watch. Um, I think that they're definitely a team that's slept on right now because – they have a lot of moving pieces that I think could be interesting, you know, when it's all said and done. Um, you know, Beasley is a straight bucket. Um, you know, LeBron's unguardable. Alonzo's in his second year. You know, let's see what Kuzma can do in his second year. And I think it's going to be interesting to see the team kind of gel all together. Um, the only player I'm not a huge fan of on that team is Caldwell Pope. Um, I just, I, I don't think, he, I didn't like him last year. And the fact that they brought him back to me, I, I was a little disappointed, but 
I think, you know, it's only a one-year deal, so they're, they're tying up for some a couple guys coming in a couple years. But as of right now, I think they're going to gel. I think, um, you know, because Rondo's going to be able to, you know, control it too. So I think it's a fun team. I, I'm excited. So you like what's coming up here with the Lakers. Uh, we look at uh, how the things ended out in the Western Conference last season. Houston Rockets were one, Golden State two, Portland Trailblazers, then Oklahoma City, Utah, New Orleans, San Antonio, and Minnesota are the top eight teams in that order that made the playoffs. The Lakers were 35-47, and 47, and there was also injuries to guys on the team, including Lonzo Ball during the season. So what are your thoughts You know, on, on – where everybody stands going into this thing. They won 35 games last year. Wherever LeBron goes, the team wins more games. If they were to win 12 more, then they're in the playoffs. You know, they're fighting with the Spurs and the Timberwolves to get in there, and then they're one away from fifth and sixth place. So, are the? I mean, I think it's easier. What I'm trying to get at is I think we can argue that the Lakers – should make the playoffs on paper this season just be you know based on the way the teams have been playing. I mean obviously Golden State's in their own world. The Houston Rockets are close to that world. And then after that, Portland, Oklahoma, Utah, New Orleans, and so on and so forth. It's kind of, you know, wide open there. We had sixty five wins for Houston, fifty eight for Golden State in the regular season. Then everybody else is between forty seven and forty nine. So asking the Lakers to win a few more games and get in there doesn't seem too crazy. What do you think about the mix? statement here and say the Lakers finished fourth or fifth in the West and I think they win their first round matchup and I think they're going to lose in the second round um that's my bold statement and then the year after that they're going to get a couple more pieces I think Durant's going to go there um maybe like a I think a big's going to go there too and I think they're going to have a really good squad um but for next year I think fourth or fifth I think LeBron elevates it and you know, like, a reporter asked him a question yesterday saying, you know, um, talking to some of the Laker fans outside here, um, how are you going to earn their respect? And, like, he, he, like, looked at her like, me? Like, I have to earn respect? And, you know, I just hope the Laker fans um, really do uh, open up their arms wide for LeBron. I mean, it's LeBron James. You can't get better than LeBron James. And the fact that a reporter had the audacity to ask him that question is so mind-blowing and disrespectful to LeBron because, you know, just look at his track record. You know, how many finals in a row has he gone to? I mean, that's a ridiculous statement. But that's the thing that, that seemingly, you know, happens a lot is there are these questions about, you know, I mean, they happen, they unfortunately, I mean, it's something that I pride myself on not doing. And, you know, I would never think to ask LeBron James, how is he going to find respect? I, I think he found it back in high school, if not before then, on his way into the NBA and has never lost it, should never lose it, as long as he continues to be a good person off the court, on the court, he's been tremendous. So, you know, when we look at this, and like you said, bold statement, I don't think it's too crazy to say that the Lakers could get somewhere in that mix, five or six in my opinion, based on how teams were playing this past season, and if these teams are not to excel, if, and if they don't do, you know, much better than their numbers had right around, you know, 47, 49 wins, then I think we can argue that the Lakers will be in the playoffs, and you know, that they have an opportunity to move forward. This this isn't like the Western Conference that we're used to seeing. When you could get away with winning 47 games, that's that to me is low of the Western Conference that I remember in the past decade plus. So it'll be interesting to see what the Lakers could do, but I do think that on paper they are a playoff team, and I'm going to kind of watch and be cautiously optimistic about Lonzo Ball and LeBron James. I don't know. 
how well that's going to work out. Speaking here with Katie Kalinske and coaching with class, I want to go over to the field for a second and give a shout-out to the Syracuse Orange. They're 4-0 on the football field for the first time since 1991. Monday Morning Quarterback, the segment we do every Monday on Wake Up Call right here on MixLR.com backslash DT at 9.15 a.m. Eastern Time is with Marvin Graves, former Syracuse quarterback, who led the team to that 4-0 start back in 1991. What do you think about what Dino's doing? I know that you've been on social media talking about the Syracuse football team. So what are your overall thoughts on this team starting out 4-0 for the first time in 27 years? Oh, I love it. You know, I, even as a kid, when they had some bad years with, like, Perry Patterson and them, like, I always rooted for them. I was a huge fan of the football team. Um, in college, a lot of the guys were my friends. Um, you know, I used to hang out with football guys all the time. And, you know, they're just good people, and they work so hard, and they deserve it. And uh, I, I think it's awesome. You know, Dino came in with a plan, and he, he believed in it, even when people kind of didn't believe in him. And he, he stayed true to what he said, and he kept recruiting, and he kept working hard, and he kept his offense. And, you know, when you have a quarterback like Eric Dungy, it makes it a little bit easier. But I think what they have this year that they didn't really have the last couple of years is I think their offensive line has really improved. Um, it's not, like, as good. As, I don't think it's great, but I think it's maintaining enough where we have a little bit of a running game going now and with Mo Neal and, you know, Dun- Dungy has a little bit of time and he's not getting hit like he was. And obviously Clemson's a little different with their D-line. They're all five-star recruits and everything. And But I, I think, you know, it, it's really good stuff. And it's just exciting in Syracuse because, you know, fans wanted it for so long. You know, I remember the years where they were wearing paper brown bags over their heads and, you know, I won't forget those years either, and just just to believe in the process, and that, that's what fans need to understand is stuff doesn't happen overnight. Like, you just got to be patient, trust the process, and, you know, we did have a couple good years with Marone there. It's not like it's been terrible, terrible, you know, so I think it's really good, and I'm excited, and I'm excited for the game on Saturday. I'm tuning in. There's no way I'm missing the closing game, and yep. I think they're going to give them a run for their money. And if they are to win and go over Clemson, they will be ranked for, I believe, the first time in 17 years. Where do you? So let's say they get the. Let's just say, for argument's sake, they get the victory. Do you think they get ranked? Do you agree with me on that? And where would you put them? Oh, they're most definitely ranked. I, I'm going to say in the 15 range. Okay. Um, even if they don't win the game and they give Clemson a run for their money within a 10 point, uh, 10 point margin, I think they're ranked. I really do. Syracuse. Um, Go ahead, what were you going to say? Just because, too, I mean, Clemson's what? What are they ranked right now? Top four, right? Yeah, Clemson right now currently going into this matchup, and, and obviously they're ranked all the way through, and they're ranked in the preseason. But just to let everybody know, the current rankings is Clemson at three in the AP and two in the coaches' poll. So you're beating a – you're either beating a top three team or you're almost beating a top three team. Um, and that would be your first loss this season. I don't see how you're not ranked. Um, I think they should be a ranked team right now. Why not? Being undefeated. Um, you know, especially the teams that are ranked that lost to, like, Old Dominion and, I don't know, some crazy losses over the weekend. So, it's going to be fun. You know, people are excited. You know, Clemson uh, just named their freshman the starting quarterback. Um, you know, maybe they'll have a little bit of uh, uncertainty all week. You know, that, that locker room chatter right there. And, you know, that, that gives you focus away from the game. So, hopefully they'll go in with a little bit of um, confusion from the week. That coming from Katie Kalinske, coaching with class. And, and I brought that up here on the show as well, that the 
Kelly Bryant departure from the team after he was after he lost the starting job, decided to transfer out of Clemson. And I said, listen, these background things, just like Le'Veon Bell before the AFC Divisional game against the Jaguars this past season, little things like that in the locker room, they can become some big things. And even though they're not happening on the field, they still are affecting the team, the chemistry, the culture, and the unity and the community of the team. So, you know, I agree with you in bringing up that point. I think it'll definitely be interesting. Any final notes, Katie, before we wrap up for the week? Uh, just let's go Bree Stewart. Um, she's uh, playing in the World Cup right now for USA, and I think that's incredible. You know, like we said, right in our back door, we have someone that's representing our country, you know, so I hope uh, just sending, you know, prayers her way for being healthy, and let, let's get that gold. God bless to her for that. I got to ask you this. You went to West Jenny, right? I did. Okay, so you went to West Jenny. Bree went to CNS. CNS and West Jenny are playing a football game against each other at West Jenny. So bring me into that. You got you got one of your friends on the other side of this matchup. What do you think? Well, you know what, Dan? This is going to sound terrible. I have not kept up with West Jenny football. Um, I, I don't even know how good they are, but let's go West Jenny. You know, I, I bleed West Jenny. Um, sorry, Breeze team, but, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going for West Jenny in the game. <laughs> I figured you were going that way. I just wanted I just wanted to know if you had any words for Bree on the other end of this thing. Oh, no, no. I can't talk smack to Bree. Uh, <laughs> she's a legend. <laughs> no smack to a legend. I, I appreciate no, no, that. I will say this. Quick story. So I played Bree in high school, obviously. Um, my, my sophomore year, I would have played against her. I tore my ACL the day before we were supposed to play them. So I didn't get to play her my sophomore year. Junior year comes into it. We're playing. Um, I pump fake on her, go by thinking I had a wide open layup and she blocked my shot so bad <laughs> and it, it, just playing against her is so crazy to think and um you know I have film too I need to find it of a possession when we played um I had it from the news when I went down and I actually scored on her I don't know how it might have been the luckiest thing I've ever done in my life and the next place she came down and crossed me and I think I fell over like it, it's just little <laughs> stuff like that I'll never forget <laughs> Yeah, she seems, you know, Bree seems like the type of person that if you score on her even once, she's not going to wait a play or two. She's going to come break your ankles on the very next play. Oh, yeah, and then she probably dropped 40 in that game. They probably won by 50, so. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going with West Jenny, and you're respecting Bree on the other side of things. That coming from Katie Kalinske, coaching with class. Katie, as always, I appreciate it, and may the record show in this court of law that you brought up Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors this week. I mean, you brought it up, but we'll act like I did. <laughs> you brought it up off the air, and then I followed it, but I was going to talk about it anyways, so I don't know whose fault it is at that point. All right, well, we'll just we'll just go with uh, you definitely did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. Thanks, as always. We'll talk with you soon. All right, Dan. This is a wake-up call, Fast Break. Carvel DeWitt, it's what happy tastes like. Do you know why? Because we make ice cream. Creamy, rich, flavorful ice cream. Not yogurt or ice milk like some of our competitors. Ice cream. Fresh, by hand, daily. For the calorie conscious, we have something new for you. Our new Carvelite. Same great flavor, creaminess, and texture of our regular ice cream with only 35 calories an ounce. So whether you want an ice cream cake, flying saucer, dasher, carvalanche, hard or soft ice cream, we will satisfy your craving with our fresh, handmade, regular, or new Carvelite ice cream. Carvel DeWitt. It's what happy tastes like. Clothing that will change with you without you having to change. 
drysiglady.com, D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G, lady.com, with the bamboo line, relaxed fit clothing, as well as the athletic fit clothing. Drysiglady.com is fit for any woman, any time of the day, anywhere. Whatever you're doing, whatever your day commands of you, command yourself to feel comfortable in Drysig Lady Apparel. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G, lady.com. For all the women out there, feel good in what you're wearing. And don't feel like you have to constantly change throughout the day. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, a business owner, going for a jog, going for a meeting, or just relaxing at home, drysiglady.com is the right fit for you. D-R-E-I-S-S-I-G, lady.com. This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. Call our home office at 315-752-9513, or better yet, call or text me directly at 315-748-2524. Let me ask you a question, Lawrence. If I needed you to help me buy a house, find the right place, could you help me do that? Joe, I'll help you find your dream home. You don't ever say my name on the radio, never. If I needed to sell a house, could you help me go about that the right way? Yes, yes I can. How do they get a hold of you? Call me directly at 315-748-2524. But you also do the commercial property. So if I got a business, couple businesses, got to take one here, move it over there, do this, do that. Are you going to help me buy and sell my commercial property also? Yes, sir. I like that. I like that. What's my name again? I have no idea. Absolutely. But they need to know your name. So give it one more time. This is Lawrence Papaleo, licensed real estate salesperson for Gilbo Realty. My phone number is 315-748-2524. Why don't you tell them your name one more time and that number so we can jot it down. This is Lawrence Papaleo. Call me or text me directly at 315-748-2524. Get Hilton quality service at the most affordable price at True by Hilton Camillus, located right next to Costco in Township 5. True by Hilton Camillus offers you their signature sport court where you can enjoy basketball, volleyball, pickleball, soccer, lacrosse, and more year-round in their indoor facility. For reservations and information, call 315-314-8676. That's 315-314-8676. True by Hilton Camillus. Hilton quality service at the most affordable price. is spreading in historic Herald Square about Syracuse's favorite sports and entertainment venue, the Press Room Pub, with lots of room next to 450 parking spots. Wash down their delicious 9-ounce burger for $9.95 with a variety of New York State brewed beers. TVs abound all throughout the location, including their 90-inch monster. Watch your game enjoy time with family friends as well as bringing the kids to the playroom the SU alumni party for every away football game is making headlines as well as Robert Drummond Syracuse football alum and Dan Satora's pre-game show two hours before kickoff for every home game private parties available as well for as many as 300 people 
Come circulate at the Press Room Pub, downtown Syracuse, and visit PressRoomPub.com right now for more information. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Proud to be here with you every Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Like I said, under promise, over deliver, and that's what we do a lot, especially on Thursdays when it comes to the Fantasy Football Power Hour, giving you what you need, and we're starting a little bit back. Typically start right around 10 a.m., and uh, this week, making sure that we had Katie Kalinske and Mike Oresco on the show, as well as Papa Joe's Picks. So we appreciate your patience. And without further ado, Mike Sofka, Hall of Fame, FantasyFootball.com, is on the line with us as he is every single Thursday on the broadcast for Thursday night football, Sunday night football, Monday night football, and all Sunday games. Very excited, as always, to do this. Brought to you by the Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York, and the Penn and Trophy Center in East Syracuse, New York. That is the Fantasy Football Power Hour. Mr. Sofka, how are we doing today? Awesome. How are you doing? Doing very well. And, and I, I want to just I want to hop right into what's going on. But before we do that, there's been an, an interesting uh, interesting rule, the, uh, the, the, the redshirt rule in college football. Now, there's unforeseen circumstances that happen with pretty much everything. And in this case, the the rule for the red shirt was, okay, well you save somebody for a season or if you want one of your young your young guys to get some time or maybe they get some time and you don't like what you see, it doesn't affect their career in college football. So they can play four games as a freshman to see what you got. They can, you know, if they get hurt, if they this, if they that, and then you save an entire season. Well, the unforeseen circumstances are the fact that somebody could play for the first four weeks, not like their situation, and utilize it to transfer in the case of Kelly Bryant. What do you think about the new redshirt rule being turned into essentially a free agency for college football? Well, ironically, I, I, I know I shouldn't like it, but I like it. And let me tell you why. There's too many coaches make too many decisions on their own to leave, and they don't remember the commitments they made to those athletes. They remember that they're going to get a bigger paycheck going somewhere else or a better position. You know, So, I mean, coaches do it all the time. Coaches have the ability to get up and go and leave and get their contract bought out and all these other things. So I think it's more encouraging that give kids some options because, you know, maybe a new coach comes in with a new program and a new system and new coaches and you don't fit that system and the guy next to you does or the guy they brought in does. So, you know, it's it's a weird set of circumstances with this, uh, you know, thing from with the kid from Clemson, but it, it is what it is. I mean, that's what we have and I'm excited to see it happen. I think it kind of balances things out for the athlete and, you know, I'm always in for erring on the side of the athlete in these situations. So, you know, even though I don't like it, I, I kind of like it. Well, and the thing, too, like you said, coaches leave all the time. They recruit these kids. They promise these kids the world. Some of them recruit the kids and promise the kids you're going to play, you're going to this, you're going to that. And these guys never see the field in their entire time. It's like, well, you're playing for Alabama, but you're not really playing for Alabama. So, this side of it for players is, you know, they are at the mercy of the coach's decisions. And they're, I mean, yeah, you got to work hard to get on the field, but a coach could tell a bunch, 10, tell four or five star quarterbacks, you're all going to play for me. And obviously, 
there's going to be one, maybe two. There's not going to be all four. So, you know, th- this does open the door for for players to be able to move around. Does it even out the playing field, in your opinion? Because this is something that I thought could be a positive off of this, is that there's these, let's take the quarterback. There's a four-star quarterback and a four-star, a five and a four, a five and a five, and they're both on the same team. The starter's chosen, and so the other one decides to go elsewhere. Does that not even out the playing field a little bit? Because then instead of having two five-stars on one team or two four-stars on one team, maybe a team like Syracuse could creep in and sneak it, you know, sneak that guy in to go up against Clemson. He feels spurned or whatever that may be. You know, there There's an open door, in my opinion, of evening out the playing field, and instead of you know, one or two or three teams having all of the great players, now those players will be spread out around the country. Yeah, that's all subjective. I mean, the grading systems are subjective. One coach may value one player higher than another, or more importantly, or one player may fit a system better than another. So, I mean, all that stuff is very subjective. I think, you know, it's like in fantasy football. You know, I deal with this frequently because I tend to, you know, pride myself in, in the drafting and in the acquiring of talented talented players for my team, you know, just because he's my third running back, he may be your number one running back. You know, so don't don't try to equate, you know, he's your second best guy, so I'll give you my second. Yeah, it's the same way with college football. You know, God bless you. You got a five-star and a four-star who was undervalued in everyone else's eyes, and he's really a five-star, so now you got two five-stars. Well, that's great. That's good recruiting on your part because you saw through that bowl and you saw that talent. So, you know, it, it is what it is there. And, it, you know, it, I think it gives the athlete options. I'm I'm all for it. Yeah, so there's there's obviously opportunities now for the athletes. and But to go, and the reason why I brought this up too is because not only has that happened in college football with Kelly Bryan asking for his release, but Rashard Matthews asked for his release as well now allegedly he's asking for his release from the titans because they're not targeting him a lot they're not giving him the ball a lot giving him a lot of opportunities this was an issue last season so we have kelly bryant saying okay i don't have the opportunity to play so i'm gonna leave now richard matthews as a professional under contract with money involved says i'm not getting a lot of opportunities so i want to leave what do you think about it from this point of view yeah well you know, it could be anything. And when you're a professional athlete, you got to do what you're required to do, and that's show up and play to the best of your ability. And if you're not getting the ball enough, you know, yeah, you need to speak up. But asking for your release and all this, I think that's going over the line. You're not being a team player. And, you know, wide receivers and DBs are the worst. You know, outside of Cam Newton, these guys are all me, 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 me. And, and what I'm saying is that that's what it's become. That's what – we've created that's what we've allowed to happen by putting certain positions and certain players on pedestals and then they take that to the next level then you have guys on the sideline proposing the punting nets and and guys missing practice because they can get away with it and there's some sort of discipline in force but nobody knows secretly what it was and it's all fake man it's all it it's all fake we've blown up these athletes to and we put them on these pedestals, and it's gotten in our heads. And there are certain positions, for some reason, it's uh, in my experience and in my opinion, it's always been wide receivers and DBs who think they're above everyone else and can do things that no one else can. And if you like it, I'll take my ball and go elsewhere. Well, you know what, Richard Matthews, 
I don't know what your value is anywhere. I saw your value tailing off last year from a fantasy perspective. You have zero fantasy value this year. I don't know. Maybe your argument is valid, but your approach to how to solve it is not very good, and you're not a team player. It's kind of a, kind of an interesting thing, though, with this, you know, him wanting his release because, again, you know, but he could be in a situation where he's on a team where he just doesn't feel like it fits or it makes sense. But, again, once you open the door to this, once you open the door to college football saying, if you don't like your situation, you can feel free to transfer. If you don't like your situation, use that four-game rule and then not play so that you can leave. So, you know, that in college football can create a lot of issues. It could obviously affect the depth of a team moving forward. And at the same time, when we look at the professional ranks of things, if they allow Richard Matthews his release, then now when other guys don't feel comfortable or don't like it or don't think it's fair, a guy like Jacquez Rogers in Tampa who's always asked to step up when everybody's hurt or suspended, but the moment that somebody comes back, they throw him to the curbside, he could be a guy going, you know what, I don't like the situation anymore, let me go. So, you know, I mean, what do you think about it from that respect? If they open the doors to this, then it could truly create Antonio Brown saying, well, Richard could do it, why can't I? Or Allen Robinson saying, I want to go back to Jacksonville, I don't want to stay here. So now, you know, the contracts that already feel null and void would be even more null and void, so why even have a contract at this point? So it would be it can create a free for all if you don't corral this thing somehow, some way. No, I I think we're on the way to that. I mean, you got guys, uh, you, you know, you got um, gosh, names escaping me real real quick here. The the DB in Seattle that was going to get traded to uh, uh, Dallas. You know, they just had to think about Earl Thomas. Yeah, Earl Thomas. You know, you saw the Dallas coaches coming over and talking to him and stuff, and and, and he acted like, and he made a comment in a presser that he was going to, you know, protect himself and put himself first, and if he's going to put his body first and all this, and I get it, but when you put yourself so far above the team that you become a distraction and you become not part of the team and you're just looking out for you and not the team, you're not doing anybody any good, and you might as well leave. But and that, but that's what they want. They want that ultimate reward. See, these guys want their cake, and they want to eat it too. You can't have a contract for five, six years, maxed out contract, and then say that, well, you don't like the way this is going, and you don't like this, and you don't like that. You know what? There's a lot of things that I don't like when I go to work. You know, but I, I have to deal with them. It's a, it comes with the territory. It comes with the job. So, I mean, it, it is what it is. We do the best we can. We try to put a smile on our face. We try to take care of business. But most importantly, if, you, if you've given your word to something, you know, these guys are under contract. You're under contract to play for a professional football team. I don't think it says anywhere in your contract that you're guaranteed to start, that you're guaranteed to get 16 targets a game, and, and that you're guaranteed to be the number one option in the game plan. No. It says you're lucky to freaking be here. We're going to pay you a ton of money and be happy. That's what the contract says. And if these guys are so unhappy, go to the Canadian Football League. Go to the Arena League. Oh, what? Oh, they don't pay that much? Oh, they don't offer those long contracts? Oh, well, then maybe you should deal with a little crap like the rest of the world does in the free business world. You know, not everything is all sunshine and roses and whistling happy tunes. 
You got to take the good with the bad. And I'm sorry, professional athlete who's been coddled all their life and been put on a pedestal and told they're number one and they're better than everybody else. I'm sorry that doesn't pay in, play into what you got going on. Be a team player. Do the right thing. Uphold your commitment. Well, that's coming here from Mike Sofka of Hall of Fame FantasyFootball.com. There's so many different angles to this. I talked to players and former players and guys that hope to be players inside of the NFL professionally. And then you look at the other side of things where you look at, you know, from the coach's perspective or the, you know, manager's perspective or the president, team owner's perspective or our perspective as broadcasters and what we see and try to balance both sides of this, even with the Le'Veon Bell situation. Now, James Harrison came out and said something that I've been saying for a while now is that, you know, hey, Le'Veon, why don't you stay, you know, if you're going to stay out and you really don't like the Steelers, stay out, come back when you have to, which I think is like week 10. You got to play six games to be a free agent. And then, you know, fake an injury, ouch, ouch, my hamstring. And then just sit on the bench because the thing is, they're going to run you to the ground when you come back. You already don't like them. You already don't want to be there. It's kind of like you haven't shown up to work in a few months. I mean, it is. That's exactly what it is. You haven't shown up to work for a few months, so you come back and they're like, you know what, save all the heavy lifting in the grocery store for Le'Veon Bell because he hasn't been here in a while, so he's got to catch up and he's got to do his share. And then Le'Veon goes to lift that first crate, falls back and goes, oh, my ankle. I can't walk. Now i got to be on workers' comp. That's what James Harrison, you know, potentially is saying to him. Just go back, fake an injury, you're good to go. What do you think about that? And that's something that I said I think is more than likely to happen, and I think it's something that, you know, I'm not going to say he did it, but Maurice Jones-Drew in week three for the Jaguars a few years back had a non-season-ending injury to his leg that nobody specified, and he didn't play the rest of the season. So this could be a scenario that may happen for Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, well, I'm sure we've we've had this happen and not even known about it. You know, like you had just pointed out about the Jones-Drew situation. You know, there's I'm sure there's times on both sides of the coin from management perspective because their their roster's fat and they have to do that. It's done in the NBA daily. You know, they take advantage of the situation, and you know, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. So, I mean, it is what it is, and it's what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So, if that's what he has to do, that's what he has to do. You know, the athletes do have to protect themselves. I get it. But, you know, there's commitments, there's contracts, there's teammates that you're letting down because these teammates, you know, who knows? Maybe I, as an offensive lineman, may have chose to go to another team because, you know, that that their back is a little better. Oh, wait a second. I get to go block for Le'Veon Bell? That fits into what I do. Oh, Le'Veon Bell's not going to show up. Well, I signed a contract contingent on Le'Veon. You're letting everybody around you down, and it's not a good look. Now, I think Le'Veon Bell's situation, I think he's going to come in, sign a franchise tender with a side agreement that he's going to get traded somewhere, and then they can't offer that new team, can't offer him a deal until after the season, after that franchise tender's up. So it, I think what they're going to do is have a side agreement with that team, have a side agreement on a new contract. He's going to sign the franchise tag, play under that for, for however length of time is left in the season, and then at the end of the season, sign that free agent deal with that same team. Yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting scenario here for Le'Veon Bell. And, you know, the Jets, I brought up the Jets and the Colts and the Bucks. There was a, a few teams on my list that I think he could go to, and I said he can go to the Jets, just can't go there this weekend. So that, 
and he won't be ready by then anyways. But, you know, it's it's definitely an interesting scenario in college and pro with the ability to have free agency and then free agency outside of free agency. But coaches have free agency in college, so players, you know, that's where people tend to understand a little bit more. You brought that up. And then, you know, in the in the professional ranks, I think that a player saying, I don't like that he's not throwing me the ball, trade me, that is a dangerous window to be in. It's a dangerous place to be in. I would say to Richard Matthews that I would have asked out of my contract after last year, knowing that they weren't throwing him the ball. But, you know, that's just me. Maybe he did. Maybe they didn't let him out. Everybody's got their own individual situation. You just have to make sure that once you set a precedent that you know what can happen beyond that. You may not know everything, but it's a dangerous world when a wide receiver goes, I want to be released, you're not throwing me the ball. Because then there would be thousands of receivers asking for their release every single week of the NFL. Let's get into week four of the NFL here in the Fantasy Football Power Hour with Mike Sofka of Hall of Fame Fantasy Football, proudly presented by the Wildcat Sports Pub in the Penn and Trophy Center. Game number one is tonight, Thursday, September 27th, Minnesota at the Los Angeles Rams. Minnesota got blasted by the Buffalo Bills, but outside of that game, these are two teams that you could expect to potentially see at the end of it all in the NFC, at least before Minnesota just made themselves look nasty and not the greatest of ways. Not nasty like a good thing, nasty like a really, really bad thing. The Rams are looking very good right now. The Rams have scored up to this point. They have scored 102 points on their end while allowing 36. Thoughts on the Rams hosting the Vikings tonight? Yeah, you know, this is two teams that are headed in different directions. and You know, unfortunately, I, I would have thought that both teams, I would have been looking forward to this. This is a game I had circled on my calendar for a while because I thought this is the ultimate game right here. These teams are both going to be 3-0. and Little did I know the Vikings were going to have a tie. Little did I know the Vikings are going to get blown out by the Bills. I think a lot of that has to do with uh, Dalvin Cook being hurt. And he's no guarantee to play tonight. You know, he's questionable, but I think if he does – play tonight you know you got to play him of course but right now I've got him cautiously marked as number 24 on my rankings a little higher if he's you know if you're in a PPR format but you want to watch that situation you would think okay well I already picked up Latavius Murray last week so I'll just plug him in well Latavius Murray got like six carries last week I think it's an all-time low in the NFL that they had six rushing attempts as a team and and the Bills just blew him out and then then they got to a point where they couldn't run the ball. They had to throw the ball all the time. So, and and then they weren't very good at that. And then they were turning the ball over. So, I don't need to tell you if you got some Rams players, you're going to play them. I mean, Jared Goff's a mid-range quarterback for me, so he's a high-end quarterback too. Uh, Todd Gurley, he's the ultimate consummate fantasy guy, number one or number two, week in, week out. Of course, you already know that. And it, of course, receiver-wise, I mean, Brandon Cooks, Cooper Cup, even Robert Woods. I mean, if you have them, play them. And, and, and you know that. Those guys are all, you know, bottom end, uh, wide receiver two and up. And and the Vikings, Thielen and Diggs, you're going to play those guys. You're going to play the quarterback. They're gonna play, you're, you, you know, you're going to play Cousins because he's going to have to throw the ball in order for them to win. You're going to have to play Kyle Rudolph because, again, they're going to have to throw the ball to win. He's number seven on my tight end ranking. So this is going to be an interesting game. I think it's going to be all Rams, even though the Vikings have a solid defense. The Vikings are have trouble everywhere. I mean, Everson Griffin has been where he's been off the team for a while. They've been very 
uh, tight-lipped about the situation. Now it's starting to leak. He's going into the hospital for a mental evaluation. So, you know, it's just a sad situation for Minnesota. But this is the NFL, and, you know, it's never what you expect. And, uh, you know, it should be an exciting game tonight. Absolutely, and it definitely going to be an interesting game tonight. I, I have the Rams in this one. I think, I think it would, and I think it's safe to say you're picking the Rams too, Mike. Yes. So with the Rams, you know, in this matchup, I mean, obviously, I, I agree with Mike. I expected this to be a game that was going to be a little more difficult to choose, but the way that the Vikings have come off of this, and not that the Vikings season is over by any stretch of the imagination, it's just the. The way that both teams look right now and the Los Angeles Rams and everything that they've been able to do, I mean, they, they look like a very dangerous team. They look like a Super Bowl cal- caliber team right now, and I had them in the playoffs and potentially winning their division of the NFC West, but they could go farther than that if they keep on keeping on with what they're doing. For Minnesota, you know, yeah, I mean, uh, if we look at Delvin Cook and he's healthy to go, he's someone to think about. Latavius Murray, I just don't trust. I know he's an Onondaga County kid. I, I I know. Listen, I respect that. I love that. I appreciate that. I talk him up all the time. But if you want my fantasy value, there's not much with him right now, and especially against the Rams' defense. I think, like you said, Mike, they're going to have to throw the ball to win. So I like Adam Thielen in this. Adam Thielen is tops with wide receivers right now and what he's been able to put together. I like Thielen. I like Diggs. I like Rudolph on this side of the Vikings. Probably would stay away from Kirk Cousins. I might, I'm going to put him as a low-end quarterback, too, this week. And then, you know, as far as the Rams, their defense and special teams, Todd Gurley, Brandon Cooks, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup. I like them all in this matchup. Jared Goff is a, is a mid-range quarterback, too, to me this week in this Thursday matchup. And the next game that we have to head into Sunday is Cincinnati and Atlanta in Atlanta. What do you have for this one? You're breaking up something bad on my end. Repeat the game. Oh, yeah. No, that's okay. I said Cincinnati at Atlanta. What do you have for this one? Yeah, I like the resurgence of Atlanta. I think Calvin Ridley showing up made a big difference. I mean, there's some more options now. That's what that Sarkeesian offense is designed to do give you those options and you see when Ryan has those options Matt Ryan you know he's going to do a lot better I got Matt Ryan as the number seven quarterback this week and then you know on the other side there Andy Dalton hasn't been too bad he's number 11 quarterback on my rankings this week you know Joe Mixon's been out and dinged up Giovanni Bernard stepped up and stepped in was able to do enough to help the team so Giovanni Bernard number 10 running back and if he's in a PPR I think you can even elevate him a little higher than that. As far as the Falcons go, though, Devonta Freeman's been dinged up. There's no guarantees there with him. He's questionable. Watch out there. But Tevin Coleman is filled in nicely. I think if, uh, you know, watch, if Freeman is playing, he's probably a low-end running back, too, just because he's dinged up. And then so is Tevin Coleman. If Freeman's not playing, I think Tevin Coleman's a bottom-end RB1, and I think that, you know, he's going to have a better opportunity to put up more numbers because he'll more than likely be the guy. You know, and and Julio Jones, I think this situation with Calvin Ridley makes Julio Jones more attractive because now you can't double Julio Jones, and now we're going to have to get him more involved in the offense as well. So Julio Jones is the number five receiver for me. Calvin Ridley's a low-end number two, maybe a high-end three for me this week. Um, tight end wise, you know, the Falcons, Austin Hooper has been a little bit on a disappointing side and Tyler Eifert seems to be catching some of his old steam again. So I like him as a bottom end tight end one this week. I, oh, and by the way, for the record, 
I think Atlanta's going to win this game at home. And on my side of things, just to give people notes uh, really quick here on the injury report, Julio Jones has a calf injury, didn't practice on Wednesday. Devontae Freeman's knee injury did not practice on Wednesday. If you want an updated injury report leading into the games, if you want to check out who's on the injury report for the week, you will find that on wakeupcalldt.com under the fantasy football tab that is titled NFL Injury Report. So you go right on to wakeupcalldt.com, look at the fantasy football tab, put your little mouse over it, and there's the NFL Injury Report on the drop-down menu, so you can check that out there. I want to also make a note of the Cincinnati Bengals and anything you should watch out for in this game. A.J. Green's pelvic injury limited him in practice. Giovanni Bernard's thigh injury limited him in practice. Joe Mixon did not practice with his meniscal injury, and outside of that, really nothing to be too concerned about. In this game, for me, I would have to go starting with Cincinnati with A.J. Green. I'm not against Andy Dalton because Atlanta, because the enemy. The NFC South does not play defense. So more often than not, the NFC South does not play defense. So, you know, I would say that Andy Dalton's going to be able to score in this game. So I'd keep him I'd keep him as a quarterback one in certain respects, depending on who you have on your squad. AJ Green is worth the play as well. Tyler Eifert, I would consider him in this game, but I think he's to me is kind of a low end two at this point. He hasn't wowed me so far this season. And then as far as Atlanta goes, I like Matt Ryan in the game, and I haven't said that in a while. But Matt Ryan's done some good things, so I like him. He's st- he's still a high end. He he's kind of where where Andy Dalton is. He's a one, but he could be a high end two. He this game could be thirteen to ten. It could be thirty something to thirty something. So you're rolling the dice here, but. I don't dislike Andy in this. I don't dislike Matt Ryan in the game as well, so I think he could be worth the play. I'm not fearful of Cincinnati's defense. I do think they could do some good things, but again, you know, this is Matt Ryan. Julio Jones and Kelvin Ridley. Let's see if Ridley can do it twice in a row. I know you don't want to leave him on your bench, so he's at least good for a flex, and I would look to Tevin Coleman with Devontae Freeman banged up. If he is able to play, you can potentially look at that, but it seems like Tevin Coleman has been able to take care of business. And I'm going to pick the Falcons at home as well. Tampa Bay at Chicago. What do you have for this one? Yeah, I think this game's going to be won by Chicago. I think that, uh, you know, they're being tight-lipped about the quarterback, supposedly, in Tampa. But, you know, I I kind of see through that. I think we're going to stay with Fitzpatrick here. I don't think uh, Jameis is near ready to come back yet. And I think, you know, that's the right move. I mean, Fitzpatrick has been hot He's been a good quarterback to throw out there. And even though Chicago's got a decent defense, and even though Chicago's probably going to rush him and be all over him, I still have him as a bottom-end quarterback one because in the game of fantasy, especially if you're in a league that doesn't count for interceptions like he had three last week, it's about yardage. It's about touchdown. It's about big plays. And he's thrown for 400 yards in three straight games and you know a bunch of touchdowns. The guy's using the weapons around him effectively, and you got to play him as a low-end quarterback one. On the other side, I don't think Trubisky is as much of a must-start, but in a way he kind of is not far behind Fitzpatrick simply because, well, Tampa's been pretty soft in the defense. You saw Chris Connie get manhandled by Vance McDonald last week, pushed down by the face, and then we find out supposedly he was playing the whole game with a with – a, uh, bad PCL and now he's on IR so uh, you know no, no excuse for that but it is what it is and I think Tampa's 
secondary is soft, and I think that's going to open things up for Trubisky. I think he's a low-end quarterback, too, this week. And, you know, running back-wise, Tampa's been struggling to run the ball. Peyton Barber just seemed to not be getting it done. I don't see Ronald Jones being able to get on the field. When you look at the other side of the coin, Jordan Howard's the number seven running back. He's been getting it done, and PPR-wise, and so has Tariq Cohen's been getting his touches as well. So, you know, look out for the running attack in Chicago. That's better than Tampa's. You know, wide receiver-wise, I think Chicago's still searching for an identity. I think Allen Robinson's making a presence there. I think Anthony Miller's making a presence there. We're going to continue to see those guys, but... I don't think those guys are wide receiver ones by any stretch of imagination. I think they're wide receiver threes at best. Maybe Allen Robinson's a bottom end wide receiver two this week. And for Tampa, being they're going to have to throw the ball through Fitzmagic, Mike Evans is a guy, Chris Godwin's a guy, Deshaun Jackson's a guy. Mike Evans, of course, is your one. Uh, you know, and Chris Godwin, I think, is a, is a wide receiver too, and I think he's the second best receiver on a team right now. Deshaun Jackson can stretch the field. And if you're in a team with return yards, you want Adam Humphreys as well. I like what O.J. Howard and Cameron Brate's been doing. Cameron Brate's been silent at times, but O.J. Howard's been looking a lot better. He's a bottom-end tight end, one for me this week. And for Chicago, you got to go with Trey Burton. He's a number six tight end. They find ways to get him the ball because he's a playmaker, and you got to like that if he's your tight end. And again, I like Chicago in this game. Yeah, you know, I, I think, like you said, staying tight-lipped on it, that uh, the coach knows who the quarterback's going to be, but he's not saying anything. I think that, obviously, it should be Fitzmagic, and they should let him continue to play because, again, why would you take him off? But Tampa's notorious for doing this. Like I said with Jacquez Rogers, somebody goes out due to suspension or an injury, and the way that they replay the player that stepped in in their case and not only filled the spot but did a good job at it is to sit him back on the bench. Jameis Winston is a problem. He's been a head case. He's been an issue at Florida State, at Tampa, on and off the field. Whether he did it, he didn't do it, he maybe did it, he did a little bit of it but didn't do all of it, he is somebody that is constantly being brought up with this stuff. It's the pain in the butt to have to deal with. And if I'm if I have Ryan Fitzpatrick and I sit him on the bench for Jameis Winston with Jameis Winston coming back after this suspension for yet another problem, then if I'm Fitz, then I would do what Richard did. Give me my release. Let me go. Let me go find a team that's going to let me play because I'm going to bring this magic somewhere, and if it's not going to be in Tampa, then maybe it's coming to a theater near you very soon and to a field near you. So I like Fitzpatrick you know, in this matchup as a quarterback. i got to keep him as a quarterback one. I don't put him uh, as a high, high quarterback one. He's playing Chicago's defense, but I do like him in the game because I know that he can create some danger zones. As far as any injuries that you need to make note of, Nothing for you on Tampa. And then as far as Chicago goes, really quick here, Chicago's injury, Anthony Miller's shoulder injury didn't practice on Wednesday. Adam Shaheen is obviously on IR. Outside of that, there's really nothing. So in my opinion here, starting with Tampa, I do like Ryan Fitzpatrick in this game. I don't know how anybody could feel good not playing him the way he's been playing lately. Even in a loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers when, I, when all was said and done, he played one hell of a game, drove up the store, score, and uh, forced Ben Roethlisberger and the team to have to outscore them, which, which, you know, I mean, this is not the Tampa team that we're used to seeing under Jameis Winston. So shout-out to Ryan Fitzpatrick. I like him. I like Mike Evans. I like Chris Godwin. And Deshaun Jackson, I like him as a flex. I'll agree with you on that. Adam Humphreys, 
and I don't really see much of you know much from him to statistically to make me say yeah definitely put him out there as far as Chicago goes the quarterback no not seeing the quarterback on this one I would even look at Tampa's defense and special teams and then on the offensive side if Anthony Miller's good to go he's a potential low-end wide receiver three I think he's coming up could be a flex guy for you I do like Jordan Howard in the game Tariq Cohen's been letting me down so I'm not gonna err on I'm not gonna lean on his side and I'm actually gonna pick the I'm going to pick the Bucks to win this game. I know the Bears have a good defense, but I keep talking about how much Ryan Fitzpatrick can score. If Fitz is the quarterback, I'm picking the Bucks in this. If it's Jameis, if it's Jameis Winston, it's probably going to be the Bears. Lions at the Cowboys. What do you think about this one? Yeah, I think Dallas might actually sneak up and surprise some people and win this game. I think their defense is going to have to step up for that to happen. They weren't able to run the ball, even though that's the only thing they can do, because they don't have any receivers in Dallas. You know, it's kind of a not-fair situation for Dak Prescott. He's dealing with a new center. He's dealing with new positions, new new receivers. Doesn't have Jason Witten. And the one thing they do have, they can't do very well, and that's run the ball right now. So they're going to have to run the ball. And I think against the Lions interior, they're going to be able to run the ball. So look for a pretty decent week from Zeke. Zeke Elliott, my number three running back this week. On the other side, Carrion Johnson has shown up. He's number 19 on my rankings. So there's an opportunity for Carrion Johnson to put two 100-yard games together. They haven't had one of those in years in Detroit. Now, they're going to be led by some quarterbacks here, and Dak Prescott, not a guy you want to start because he's got nobody to throw it to. He's a QB3 in my book right now until they get something else happening. Matt Stafford, though. Matt Stafford's somebody who's borderline QB1 for me at number 13 on my rankings this week. Wide receivers, if you got one from Dallas, you're not doing too well this year on your fantasy team, so just go ahead and throw in a towel and give up. No, hit the waiver wire and look for somebody else because they're not doing what they need to do. So I don't need to tell you that. You already know you're probably 0-3 if you're counting on the Dallas receiving core. And Detroit, Detroit's got some guys you're going to want, though. Golden Tate, of course, Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay. All these guys should be starting QB 1, 2, and 3 respectively on their team and on my rankings as well. You know, I, I, I fault Detroit for letting Eric Ebron go, but he wasn't getting it done there. He was always injured and always put in these lackluster seasons. Now they got nobody. Luke Wilson's not showing up. Michael Roberts isn't doing anything. And then they got my favorite guy, the tight end three there, the rapper, Levine Toilolo, <laughs> the rapper Toilolo. Yeah, you can't count on any of those guys, and you can't count on a tight end from Dallas either. But I see Dallas winning this game by running the ball. Yeah, Detroit at Dallas. Uh, it's 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 not what you what you would hope that it would be. This kind of feels like a game that would be on Thanksgiving. But you know, can you have both teams lose in the same? I guess if they tie, you could. As far as injuries go for Detroit, nobody on there to be too concerned about on Dallas's side. Ankle injury to Cole Beasley, fantasy wise, hasn't done anything for you this season. And outside of that, uh, there's really nothing for you to be too concerned about. They got a long injury list, but these players should not be the ones that are leading your fantasy team. So, you know, I would say Matt Stafford's a quarterback too this week. I like Carrion Johnson. I think he's worth the play. He's on my team, and I like him. I like what he could do. So I, I like him in this game. I like Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay and Golden Tate as a flex position. You know, this is the first time in a long time that I tell you to play almost completely the house against the Cowboys, but, you know, I just don't have a lot of faith in their defense and what they put forward this season. I don't 
I don't like Dak Prescott this year so far. I know, like Mike said, it's not all on him. You got to give him the receivers. You got to give him a tight end. You got to give him an offensive line. So, you know, he's in a situation that's very undesirable, but he is an NFL quarterback being paid millions of dollars. So hopefully he can figure out a way to get it going. And either way, he's living his dream. So that's a good thing. It's just a, it's a, he's living his dream, but it kind of feels like a nightmare for Cowboys fans seeing the way the team has been playing and what they put together. So Ezekiel Elliott, you got to play him. I don't have him as a running back one. I have him as a, well, no, that's not true. I do have him as a running back one. Pardon me. We're talking about Detroit here, okay? Detroit, who anybody looks good against, who has had a running back score on them every single every single game that they've they've played, either had a running back score on them or get over 100 yards or both. So I like Ezekiel Elliott in this one, and really that's the only Cowboy I feel good about in this matchup. Next one up is Buffalo at Green Bay. Could they pull it off again up against the NFC North, Mr. Sofka? All right. You know, and, and Bill's fan, Bill's mafia, if you're, if you're getting ready to crash through some tables over cheese and going to tell me how great Buffalo is and how everything is great now, just, just hold on a minute. Just take a step back and take a breath. Yeah, you won the game in dominating fashion at Minnesota. Hats off to you. You did a great job. And if you do it again on the road at Green Day, hats off to you again. But let's put reality where reality goes. Buffalo, you're not very good. You got some problems everywhere. You got a rookie quarterback. You got a running back who's injured with a rib injury. Says and insists in McCoy that he's going to play. But that does wonders for his fantasy value because he's not even a quarterback on my rankings this week. The backup isn't doing much better in Chris Ivory, so nobody's doing anybody any favors here by playing anybody from Buffalo. You can't play a receiver, you can't play a tight end, you can't play the quarterback, and you can't play the running back now. So Buffalo fan, put yourself in check. Everything will be alright. You're playing for the future here. Just keep that in perspective. You're not world beaters. I know you beat what we thought was a good Minnesota team, but you see they got problems now, so just put it all in perspective. I think Green Bay is going to win big, and they're going to win big behind Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, they've been able to manage the game around him. The leadership in Green Bay is superlative, and that's they're on a different level than a lot of other people because they realize what they have. They got a non-mobile quarterback who's used to being mobile, so they're going to give him those quick step drops, they're going to give him those quick throws, and they're going to rely on a team-oriented running attack, and that's what they're going to do. Now, that team-oriented running attack is going to butcher fantasy players because Aaron Jones is supposed to be back, but you can't count on that. You don't know if it's going to be him, Jamal Williams, Ty Montgomery, so you know you can't start a guy from there. The guys you want to start, of course, are the wide receivers, Devontae Adams. He's a wide receiver, too, in my book this week. And then, you know what? Wide receiver three, Randall Cobb, Geronimo Allison's been been coming around. Looks like Jimmy Graham may be hurt, may be dinged up, so I don't think you can count on him this week. But Aaron Rodgers, you can definitely play, and you can definitely play some Green Bay receivers this week. And again, I think it's going to be Green Bay big. Yeah, and we have in the other one, did you pick the Cowboys? Oh, yeah. Okay, so you got the boys, I got the Lions, and the early Thanksgiving treat that we'll have this Sunday. And then in this matchup with Buffalo and Green Bay, I'm going to go with Green Bay in this one as well. You know, I I would like to think that this defense, I mean, if Clay Matthews can ever sack a quarterback and not get in trouble for it, 
maybe that would be helpful to the team. I think it's three weeks, three fines or something ridiculous for Clay Matthews. And they were talking about it yesterday, how you can jump on a quarterback and as you're going down, jump off of the quarterback. So you sack him in the in the run of play and then you have to push your body off of him before he falls to the ground. I could see quarterbacks, you know, if they're going to get sacked, grabbing on your jersey and holding on to you so that you do fall on to them even if you try to get off just so that they can say that oh look he fell on me so this is definitely a rule made for the quarterback and the quarterback can absolutely exploit this rule like I just said by holding on LaShawn McCoy limited with a rib injury and you know I'm not feeling great about his situation this year in and of itself Charles Clay shoulder injury he's limited as well for the Bills for Green Bay on their side of things at home we have Jimmy Graham with a knee injury, did not practice. Aaron Rodgers' knee, MCL, did not practice on Wednesday as well. So just watch that. But I would lean on Aaron Rodgers to play because he seems to want to play through everything. You know, he's a gamer, and he's one of those guys that, you know, just just uh, give me that whatever it is that they use in the World Cup, that spritz, that little spray when your leg is broken and they spritz you and all of a sudden you're back on the field running around again. So maybe that's what Aaron Rodgers is is looking to take in this one. On Buffalo's side of things, you know, Josh Allen, he's a quarterback too for me this week. If you can play multiple quarterbacks, he's not a bad one. Probably he's not my starter this week in this game, though. I mean, he did some great things. He had some fun. But I would like to think that Green Bay is watching that film going, how in the hell did Minnesota's defense let this pass through? So I think they'll be ready for it. Zay Jones is a flex player for me. Don't really like anybody else on the Bills team in this game, fantasy football-wise. For Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers, if he's good to go. Devontae Adams, and I told you last week to play Geronimo Allison. Hopefully you listen to me. I do like him in this. And, you know, really, this is a game where I feel like I should be picking more players but outside of Zay Jones as a low-end wide receiver three and then having Devontae Adams, Geronimo Allison, and Aaron Rodgers, there's nobody else that I'm willing to pick in this one. I'm going with the Packers, and so is Mr. Safka. Philadelphia at Tennessee, what do you have for this? Yeah, Philadelphia is not the Philadelphia I'm used to seeing, but you know they're going to get it done, and they're going to continue to get it done. I think they're going to... I think they're going to win this game in Tennessee. Uh, you know, Tennessee's defense is pretty good. Carson Wentz is, well, he's pretty good as well, though. And, I, you know, I'd like to say rank him as a QB1, but he's just a mid-range guy for me this week, number 15 on my rankings. You know, they're going to have to have a team-oriented attack to run the ball from Philly. I think Philly's going to try to do something a little bit different here with a, with a committee. Uh, everybody's been dinged up. Jay Ajayi, Corey Clement seemed to take an increased role. Darren Sproles may be back, and Wendell Smallwood got some goal line touches. So while I don't feel good about any one of these guys, the combination of these guys are going to do good for the team, just not very good for fantasy this week. You know, Alshon Jeffrey has been dinged up all year. Nelson Aguilar has been the one you wanted to start. Mike Wallace is now hurt. Zach Ertz. And, and Dallas Goddard have been the guys to, to, to look at, but Dallas isn't getting enough completions. He's gotten a couple targets whenever he's on the field, but that's the thing. He's not on the field enough. He's not on the field as often as a Trey Burton was for them. So Zach Ertz is a bottom end tight end one for me this week, and the rest of the guys are great team players. They're just not very good for fantasy, although I think it's going to be enough for them to win the game. Tennessee, well, they're a wreck. They're a wreck in the quarterback department. I wouldn't start a quarterback from Tennessee, no matter if it's Mariota, Blake Bortles, if he's still around after the injury. I don't know. And and, and running back. Oh, you mean wise, you mean Gabbard on that one? 
Yeah, Gabbard, Gabbard. Good old, good old, good old Blaine. Wait, so wait, you're saying to us on Fantasy Today, Mike, I want to make sure I get this right. You're saying to us that no one should play Gabbard or Mariota, who combined in the first half of the Jaguars game to go four for ten for eighteen passing yards, one point eight yards per pass. You're 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 officially saying don't start those people. That would be absolutely correct. And what an astute observation on my part, eh? <laughs> so you know <laughs> Deion Lewis has been outshining outshining his counterpart in in, in Henry there and I, I don't I don't see that going to end, especially the PPR format. You got to play Deion Lewis. I don't think Derrick Henry is performing the way we thought he would. He's a bottom end running back three for me, where Deion Lewis is a is a bottom end running back two for me. And you know we've talked about it. You know the receivers, the receivers are, are, are a mess. You know Corey Davis, nothing. Tywan Taylor, nothing. Tajay Sharp, nothing. The one guy they had at tight end injured, so now we got Jonu Smith. There's a lot of nothing in this game, so not a very exciting fantasy game, but I think Philadelphia is going to win. Yeah, I got Philadelphia in this one in in a relative landslide. I think they can score 30-something to the Titans getting maybe three points in this game. I'm... Uh, I mean, it's it's as simple as that. I see thirty to three, thirty-seven to three, something like that in this matchup. As far as Philadelphia goes in this game, uh, notable injuries: Jay Ajayi has a uh, back injury, did not practice on Wednesday. Full practice participant Elshon Jeffrey with a shoulder injury, so that's good for fans to see. Hamstring to Darren Sproles did not practice on Wednesday. Uh, Mike Wallace is on injured reserve, as people know. And then for the Tennessee Titans, really quick here, uh, Rashard Matthews asking for his release, so he is questionable. And uh, outside of that, we have uh, Ryan Suckup had a knee injury, and he did not practice. That's the worst thing that could happen to this team because he's the only thing that was good. There was one shining moment in the in the Tennessee Jaguars game, and it was Ryan Suckup. That's all it was to link that to to the uh, beautiful world of March Madness. So in this one, for me, I'm feeling good about Philadelphia. I'm not feeling anything with the Tennessee Titans. They got away with the fact that, you know, the Jaguars couldn't move the ball. They didn't have a lot of protection. They were missing their left tackle and their right guard and their starting running back, which is three blockers for Blake Bortles, and that obviously affected their ability to get up and down the field. I'm not taking anything away from Tennessee, but that had to be one of the ugliest games that I've seen in a lifetime. And they are the kryptonite of the Jaguars, are only 15 and 22 in the 21st century against them in 20 and 26. And here's a very weird stat. The Jaguars have not defeated the Titans when playing them on a Sunday in five years. They've only beaten them on Thursdays and Saturdays. So luckily for them, they have them on Thursday when they go to Tennessee later this season. I would play Carson Wentz in this game. Uh, Corey Clement, I like him in this game, especially with Sproles and Jay Ajayi being injured. Elshon Jeffrey is worth looking at in this one as a, as a wide receiver two, low-end two. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, I'm looking at him as a high-end wide receiver two. In the matchup, Zach Ertz, I'd have him as a low-end one. I'd agree with Mike on that. On Tennessee's side of the ball, I really don't like – I mean, I don't like the quarterback situation, as we alluded to. Uh, not a big fan of Derrick Henry – if you got to play him at a flex, I guess that's where you go. Outside of that, I don't like anybody in this one. So that's how I feel about that, and I'm obviously picking the Eagles. We'll do one more game before we take our final fast break of the show. Texans at the Colts. What do you have for this one? Yeah, this is a game where somebody's going to win, even though the Colts already have a win. 
the Texans and the Colts. You know, you would go with the home team here naturally, but I'm going to have to dodge. I'm going to have to go with, with the Texans on this one because you need Deshaun Watson to show up. I think he's going to be able to against that Indianapolis secondary. And on the other side, well, you know, we're kind of still waiting. We're patiently waiting for Andrew Luck. Yet it doesn't seem to be happening fast enough to a lot of people's likings. He's an 18 quarterback, number 18 on my rankings this week. And, you know, what running the ball. Well, Indianapolis hasn't really found an identity there either. Marlon Mack was supposed to be the guy who's been dinged up. Jordan Wilkins was trying to, you know, take most of the load. He hasn't been getting it done. The thing that you want to keep in mind with Indianapolis is one or two players, and that's T.Y. Hilton and Eric Ebron. Oh, and Ryan Grant's been showing up nicely, too. So if you have T.Y. Hilton, you know he's normally a number one. I got him downgraded to a number two this week. And Ryan Grant, well, he's probably a flex for you at best. And Eric Ebron, well, all he's been doing was getting touchdowns. He's number eight tight end on my ranking this week. Texans-wise, they don't have the same luxury at tight end. They're still waiting for guys to show up, a Ryan Griffin, a Jordan Thomas, a Jordan Aiken. They're still waiting for somebody to show up. I bet you who is going to show up, though, and that's DeAndre Hopkins. He's a top uh, wide receiver week in, week out. I think, you know, if you're in daily, take the stack, Deshaun Watson and, and DeAndre Hopkins. They're going to get it done. And Will, Will Fuller. Will Fuller is going to be the difference maker in this game. I like him a lot. I think it goes back to last year. Will Fuller was hurt. Deshaun Watson's been hurt. But I think there hasn't been a game where Deshaun Watson and Will Fuller have played where Deshaun has not thrown Will Fuller touchdown. So every time they play together, Will Fuller gets a touchdown. So if you're in a touchdown-only league, that's a good thing to look out for as well. Again, I look for Houston to win this game. Yeah, the Texans again. I, I'm not someone who's really been sold on on Andrew Luck. You know, I thought maybe coming into it out of Stanford that there would be some good things that would happen, but Andrew Luck, you know, for me at least at this point, I'm just not sold on him. I know he's returned. I'm happy that he's healthy, but I'm not overly I'm not overly wowed by what he's been able to do. His completion percentage is high, 68.5, which has been good. He's averaging about. 200 yards per game passing, but he's thrown five touchdowns to three interceptions, and that is an issue. So that is something to definitely look to in this. As far as Eric Ebron, like Mike said, his game log so far this season, got a touchdown against Washington and a touchdown against Cincinnati, did not get one in the last game against Philadelphia, but had five catches in the game on 11 targets. So they're definitely looking to Eric Ebron. It's in short yardage because he had 11 targets, five catches, 33 yards. So not the guy that's got obviously going to run you down the field, but somebody that they'll look to in those goal line situations. So that is something to make a note of. The NFL injury report really quick here. We'll go with the Texans and then with the Colts because the Texans are on the roll road. So Houston in this matchup to just take a look at what they have on the injury report. They got a bunch of guys limited with a thumb injury. DeAndre Hopkins limited with a hamstring injury. Will Fuller the fifth. And outside of that's Kiki Kuti hamstring injury, who is a rookie on the team at wide receiver. He's on there. Dante Foreman is on the PUP list, the physically unable to perform still. Eric Ebron did not practice with his shoulder injury. Jack Doyle didn't practice with his hip injury. Marlon Mack was limited with a hamstring injury. And outside of that, uh, really not too much for you to be concerned about. I think the one you have to circle and really look at 
in this is the tight end position for the Colts with two guys that may not be 100% when this game kicks off. So let's go to Houston first. I think that Deshaun Watson's worth a play in this game. Outside of that, I like a, a healthy DeAndre Hopkins. And Will Fuller the fifth. I would consider him in this matchup. I would consider potentially putting him out there, but he'd be a lower-end guy for me if I if I was to put him out in this matchup. And then as far as the Colts go on their end of things, it's really hard when it comes to running the ball. I mean, Naheem Hines and Jordan Wilkins have been the guys for them right now. Jordan Wilkins, a newcomer, and Naheem Hines, a rookie that was drafted in the fourth round, and Jordan Wilkins, a rookie that was drafted in the fifth round, Naheem from North Carolina State, and Jordan from Mississippi. So two rookies trying to lead the way with Marlon Mack not getting it done and being hurt. So T.Y. Hilton, I like him in this game, but I would agree with Mike. He's a lower-end wide receiver in this matchup, lower-end one, high-end two. And then outside of that for the rushing attack, I don't trust either side of it. I want to tell you Naheem Hines might be good to play at flex, but he may not get you the yardage that you want in this matchup. And Jordan Wilkins, the jury's kind of still out on this one. So I'm going to pick the Texans on the road as well. We will take our final step aside of the show for a fast break and be right back to finish up our fantasy football coverage of week four inside the NFL with Mike Sofka of Hall of Fame FantasyFootball.com. And of course, your guy right here every Monday through Friday, Dan Satora of WakeUpCallDT.com. This is a Wake Up Call Fast Break. Consistency is, well, consistently hard to find. Unless you head to 119 East 2nd Street in East Syracuse, New York, the home of the Penn and Trophy Center, who has been serving us Central and Upstate New Yorkers, as well as beyond, for decades. The Penn and Trophy Center on 119 East 2nd Street in East Syracuse, New York, gives you an amazing and unique way to customize a memory today. Say it with the Penn and Trophy Center. Be it an Employee of the Month award, a sports award, something for your business, engraving for your family, your loved ones, anniversaries, birthday parties, and so much more, including remembering somebody who served in the military. Say it with the Penn and Trophy Center. 119 East 2nd Street in East Syracuse, New York. The definition of consistency is Penn and Trophy. Browse their products on penandtrophy.com. That's penandtrophy.com. And call them for more information at 315-422-8797. That's 315-422-8797. Having peace of mind when you're out of town, that your furry-loving friend is safe and sound, means taking them to canine campground because we all know that when it comes to the love of our pets it goes well beyond the call of duty to make sure they're safe and sound right lily (laughs) so take a ride to 242 johnson street in east syracuse new york and see canine campground and where your dog will be staying in the classic cabin the executive cabin the grand cabin or of course the luxury cabin because if you know lily you know she loves luxury Now you don't have to wait to the last minute to find a family member or a friend that'll take your dog for a few days. Call Canine Campground at 315-299-4013. That's 315-299-4013. Their drop-off and pick-up times are Monday through Sunday. Check caninecampground.com for more information. That's the letter K, the number 9, and campground spelled with a K, dot com. Caninecampground.com. 
When you're going out of town, bring your dog to canine campground. Get Hilton quality service at the most affordable price at True by Hilton Camillus, located right next to Costco in Township 5. True by Hilton Camillus offers you their signature Top It breakfast bar with over 30 different toppings to personalize the most important meal of the day, all complimentary with your stay. For reservations and information, call 315-314-8676. That's 315-314-8676. True by Hilton Camillus. Hilton quality service at the most affordable price. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York is located on 3680 Milton Avenue in the Home Depot Plaza. It is your family-friendly sports bar and restaurant. Folks, some sports bars aren't family-friendly. Some family-friendly restaurants are not sports bars. The Wildcat Sports Pub in Camillus, New York, is proud to be both. It is that marriage that you've been looking for for years. The Wildcat Sports Pub is your home base for your sports bar and restaurant needs, games for the kids, indoor and outdoor activities, and enough things on the menu to come back every single week and get to try something new. They're open Sundays from noon to 8 p.m., Monday through Wednesday, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Thursday through Saturday from 11 a.m. to midnight. For reservations and party information, call 315-487-2222 for the Wildcat family-friendly sports pub and restaurant. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on WakeUpCallDT.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT. Hanging out with you this morning and every Thursday morning, giving you fantasy advice inside of the Fantasy Football Power Hour, proudly brought to you by the Wildcat Sports Pub and the Penn and Trophy Center. The Wildcat is where you watch the games every single Thursday, Sunday, Monday, and you go all throughout the week because the food is awesome, the experiences are great, it's a family-friendly atmosphere that has a sports bar, they balance the sports fans that want to go there and have a beer and watch the game with the kids that are having a birthday party. Somehow, some way, they get it done, and I give a lot of credit to Danny and Heather Tome for making it happen at the Wildcat 3680 Milton Avenue in Camillus, New York, open every single day of the week. And the Pennant Trophy Center that proudly makes the trophies for the Wake Up Call Fantasy Challenge and can make them for you as well. All you have to do is get in touch with them for the Pennant Trophy Center. They're also online, so if you're out of town and not in East Syracuse, New York, or upstate New York, you can feel free to go to penandtrophy.com. If you're in Central New York, then you can go right over to 119 East 2nd Street in East Syracuse and call them at 315-422-8797. That's 315-422-8797. You can make a trophy anywhere but you can make great trophies that people want and constantly are trying to jockey for in fantasy football and beyond if you get them at the Penn and Trophy Center. They do the trophies right. We got our mini Lombardi for the champion, and we have our toilet bowl for our last place. They are tremendous with the work that they put forward and the work that they do. So let them help you out with your fantasy team and whatever else you got going on from custom engraving, weddings, birthdays, anniversaries, employee of the month, sports banquet, whatever it may be. 
Pen and Trophy's got you covered. 315-422-8797. With that being said, we're hopping back into Fantasy Football Talk. The Dolphins at the Patriots. What do we have for this one, Mr. Sofka? Yeah, I think the Patriots are going to get back on board this week. The Evil Empire can't be down this many times. And, you know, the last time we saw the Patriots start, you know, with three straight losses, I, I think you got to go back to when they went to Miami and Miami pulled that wildcat that nobody had really seen before. I like New England at home. I think they're going to win the game. I think they're going to somehow do something different. I think they're going to be able to pull that coverage off Gronk. Gronk's going to show up. He's got to. There's no way he can be held down this long. He's too talented. Belichick's too talented. Tom Brady's too talented. So I'm going to put my faith in that and still classify him as one of the top tight ends this week, of course. And you got to go hand-in-hand with Tom Brady. Tom Brady's one of the top quarterbacks. He's definitely a QB1. You know, until somebody knocks them off their throne entirely, until I see more of a debacle there, I'm, I'm not going to go against the evil empire. It's, it's stupid. It's like going to Vegas and and you keep betting and keep betting and keep betting and keep betting. They don't build those big casinos on giving people winning monies back. They they take your money and you can only go to the well so many times. Well, it's the opposite with the Patriots. You you got to get you got to understand it's a, it's a different situation there. And you know what? I think their running back situation ironically got a little more ironed out with Rex Burkhead going on IR. Yeah, he was their leading running back, but you know, I think Sony Michelle's the future. Sony Michelle's only had a couple games there. He missed some preseason with the knee. He's only played like two games. So I think they're going to really concentrate on bringing him along. And I think that's a good thing. He's a mid-range running back, too, for me. I think they're going to try to do those long handoffs with him and get him the ball in space. But this is a guy that can run between the tackles as well. For his size, he's got speed. He's got agility. He's got elusiveness. And I really like what I'm seeing in Sony Michelle, and I'm, I'm glad to see he's on the way back on the mend. Again, a running back, too. Receiver-wise, they can't wait for Edelman to get back. Again, that's going to open things up for Gronk even that much more. Chris Hogan's been playing kind of outside of where he needs to be and what he needs to be doing. Are we going to see Josh Gordon this week? How is he going to do? How is he going to be acclimated to the offense? There's a lot of question marks at receiver on New England. And for the Dolphins, Tannehill's been a surprise. I think Tannehill is going to be, you know, a little bit better off than we think. But, you know, again, he's playing the Patriots, and I don't feel real good. I I think he's a a mid-range quarterback, too, for me. I don't think you can invest too heavily in him. They're still struggling to find a running back identity. I don't think Kenyon Drake's the answer, but he's not bad. He's just not where they need to be yet. He's number 20-ranked running back on my rankings this week. Hopefully Devontae Parker's going to show up. Kenny Stills has been showing up, but you need more than one guy at a receiver. Kenny Stills, the number 27 running back in the high number of running back, number 27 receiver on my rankings this week in the highest ranking Miami receiver. So that tells you a lot about the rest of the crew there in Miami. Until I see more from Gusecki or somebody, I, I can't really go with any tight end there as well. But I definitely think the Evil Empire is going to bounce back and New England's going to win this game. It's interesting to me that Danny Amendola has been so quiet in this 3-0 start for the Miami Dolphins. And yes, I'm not stuttering. The Miami Dolphins have a better record than the New England Patriots. The Miami Dolphins are 3-0. They've defeated Oakland at the Jets and against Tennessee. So two home games, one away game. This one's on the road in New England. And he has caught, you know, three or four game. 
but the yardage is very low. 42 yards, 32 yards, 26 yards. Has yet to have a touchdown. I'm going to go down on a limb here and say even consider playing Danny Amendola as a flex position. I believe in the hole when you're playing your old team, you want to make sure that you show up and show out. And some guys they don't, but I think a lot of the times, you know, it is one of those things where, you know, they play a little bit up to that game, a little bit higher to that game. So I'm going to say Danny Amendola is going to get his first touchdown as a Miami Dolphin here this time around uh, this season for for this team. So, I mean, Wes Welker was a Dolphin, became a Patriot. Danny Amendola went the other way. I think Danny gets his first touchdown as a Dolphin against the Patriots in Foxborough is what I'm going to call for this game. No injuries really to note for Miami, for New England. You know their injury report is always vast, but do they really have injuries or are they just pretending to? when you put all these guys on here. But Josh Gordon has a hamstring injury. He was limited on Wednesday. Gronk limited with his ankle injury. Burkhead, as Mike said, is on injured reserve right now. So for Miami, I like Danny Amendola as a flex guy for you. I like Kenny Stills. I'm still wondering, pun intended, why Devontae Parker looks like he's above him on the depth chart because Kenny Stills seems to be the guy. Kenyon Drake, I wouldn't put it past. I mean, he's a low-end running back two, high-end three for me this week. If you need a backup, I don't think he's a bad play. Probably stay away from Ryan Tannehill in this matchup. And then on the other side of things, you know, Tom Brady hasn't looked wondrous in these games that he has played. He's hard to keep off the field, but I don't have him as as a top one for me this week. I have him kind of in the uh, you know mid-range. He's not a top five for me this week. Chris Hogan is the only receiver that I would trust, and Rob Gronkowski, if he's healthy to go, look to him. Sony Michelle, I do like him in this matchup. I think he will score, but I'm going to pick the Dolphins upsetting the Patriots. Now, divisional games are a different game. It's a different bird. It's a different breed. And we see it with Tennessee up against Jacksonville every year. And whenever the Patriots, as good as they are and as highly touted as they are, they can lose one to the Bills and split the series, lose one to Miami. Miami gets their goat, and they got their goat in Miami. I think they're going to do it in New England, in Danny Amendola's return. Danny gets a touchdown, and the Dolphins find a way to squeak one by. And we'll be talking about the one in three Patriots coming out of this week. Next one up we have for this for the uh, matchups here are the Jets at the Jaguars. What do you have for this, Mike? Yeah, I do. Marks in a running back situation for the Jaguars. You know, are, is Fournette going to be back? If he is back, he's an he's an RB one. You got to play Fournette if he's back. I think he's going to be back. Hopefully, they're not doing this. Uh, you know, well, we're going to hold him out till the playoffs or whatever because we can. No, you found out last week you can't do that. You know, you thought you were world beaters without him against New England. You couldn't do it against Tennessee. So Fournette's got to be back. He's got to suck it up. They got to make sure that you know. I I get it. He's he's the franchise. I get it. But at the same time, you got to win some games. So Fournette's an RB one for me. Uh, you know, receiver wise. Keelan Cole's probably a, a wide receiver two for me, and that's high in my opinion. He really should be a wide receiver three, so he's kind of borderline. You know, nobody else has been really showing up. DJ Shark, uh, DeAndre West, DD uh, Westbrook, Dante Moncrief. I haven't seen these guys doing enough. I know they're trying to get them the ball. They just haven't been able to. And Safarian Jenkins, maybe if you're in a touchdown-only league, I mean, he's a, he's a tight end two for us, and you know, Blake Bortles had that great game against New England. Then he looked horrible. So I think he's a he's a QB two this week. 
And then for the Jets, well, the Jets have a rookie quarterback, and that's not going to bode well. He's going to be welcomed to the NFL by Saxonville. You know, I know Sam Darnold's been doing great. I know he, he, he can be elusive, and I know he can throw the ball and everything, but I don't think he's seen anything like this Saxonville approach is going to be. They're going to get after him, and I think that's going to play havoc with their game plan for New York. I think they're still looking for that identity. I, you know, they can throw the ball. They can pass the ball. Isaiah Crowell and Bilal Powell together have been averaging over four and a half yards a carry, so together – they're a tremendous one-two punch. It just those guys don't don't fare well fantasy wise. They put you in a in a running back three category and receiver wise, same thing. You know there hasn't been that one guy who's been stepping up. Quincy Inua, uh Robbie Anderson, maybe you know these are if come maybe. Same thing with the tight end situation there as well. So nothing's really jumping out on me outside of what I said in, about Leonard Fournette. So. I don't need to tell you if you have Leonard Fournette, you're probably itching to get him back in the lineup anyway. But I think the Jaguars are going to win this one comfortably at home. And I'm going to go with the Jaguars in this game as well. I'll be on site on location for this matchup as they face their second team inside of the AFC East this season. Face the Patriots, beat them at home. They got the Jets at home now. Looking to make it happen. The Titans beat them in the first three weeks at home last season, and the team ended up winning 12 games, being one step out of the Super Bowl. Titans beat them at home this time around, this really embarrassing game. They got blown out last year by the Titans by 21, their biggest loss from the postseason or regular season last season this time they lose by three in a field goal game where they couldn't get the ball up and down the field defense did what it needed to do but the offense couldn't move the ball and a lot of that had to do with protection so on the injury report for the Jaguars going into this matchup uh, Brandon Linder the center has a knee injury and he did not practice on Wednesday. Outside of that, Jeremy Parnell has a knee injury. He's limited. A.J. Can's triceps injury that kept him out last week. He's limited. So they need A.J. Can. They need Parnell. They need Brandon Linder. They need Josh Wells to step it up in the absence of Cam Robinson. Calais Campbell needs to stay healthy on his side of it. And Leonard Fournette's hamstring, he did practice in a limited way, but that's good because the last couple weeks he was not practicing early in the week. And then T.J. Yeldon did not, did not practice with an ankle injury. So, you know, the Jaguars, you want to hope that this doesn't happen to them and that it doesn't happen to anybody, which is that the injury bug doesn't take away a season where this team could really make it happen. It happened to Green Bay last year. On the Jets' side of things with their injuries, Terrell Pryor has an ankle injury, but he practiced full. I've never seen this, I don't think, in my life. Maybe one other time. Robbie Anderson is on the Jets' injury report with a nose injury. Their wide receiver has a nose injury. So this, this to me, is smoke and mirrors. I expect this to be something I would find on the injury report for the Patriots. Nose injury, eyebrow injury, pulled fingernail, toenail growth, something like that, ingrown hair, something that that I would expect to see on the Patriots when it comes to the injury report. Quincy Anunwa, he's on it too, but he practiced in full. Calvin Beecham will have his return to Jacksonville as he was on the offensive line last year, and uh, he came from the Patriots before that. So Beecham will be there as well, and he practiced in full this week. So my for my side for the Jets, I think Sam Darnold, you know, I agree. I think he gets a welcome to the NFL. I think Isaiah Crowell and Belial Powell don't have a fun day against the Jaguars' defense. The Jaguars are embarrassed. They're pissed off. They want to win this game. If Robbie Anderson's nose can hold up, 
then that's the only one that I would consider playing in this one. Outside of that, it's Jacksonville's defense and special teams. I would consider Blake Bortles a quarterback too. Leonard Fournette, if he's healthy and ready to go, I'd look to him. Keelan Cole in this game, Dante Moncrief in this game as well. And Austin Safarian Jenkins, he's proven that he can catch those touchdowns, and he's got to do it in the you know in the end zone over the middle. Did it against the Patriots. This is the Jets team that he fa- that he was a part of recently. And so I would imagine that he would want to get a touchdown against them as well in this matchup. So I like a lot of Jaguars in this, and only Robbie Anderson of the Jets if the nose knows. Browns at the Raiders. And, Mike, have you ever heard of a nose injury keeping you off the field? Yeah, this stinks. This this smells of something. <laughs> I don't know. I'm looking for the joke in here. I don't know. I, I You know, I... Maybe they'll win the game by the nose of the football. I there you don't go. Know. He 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 got in the end zone by a nose when they go back and look at. It. I mean, yeah. it's it's protectively covered. But the only person in bless his heart in heaven that I can think of that would have any trouble with the nose was Michael Jackson. So I I think Robbie Anderson should be okay in this game. We got uh, under 20 minutes to go, so we're going to run you through rapidly the last six games. Browns at the Raiders. What do you have? Wow, this is going to be an interesting game. You know, the Browns should be and could be with a kicker 3-0, and and the Raiders are unexplicably 0-3. And, and, you know, this game's in Oakland. I think I'm going to give the advantage of this game to Oakland simply because it's a road game. It's a long way to go across country with a rookie quarterback. You know, I I, I get it. He's, a he, you know, a professional. I get it. He's an NFL quarterback. He's still a rookie. He's going to make mistakes. And, you know, I'm, I'm really reaching by – saying Oakland's going to do something good here, but I'm just going to go with the home team. It's almost a coin flip game for me. And I think they got to be led by Derek Carr, but I don't have a ton of confidence. I think, you know, in either quarterback, because I think Baker Mayfield's going to still be on that learning curve, maybe a few picks in there. And Derek Carr is going to be facing the Cleveland defense that can turn the ball where it can get the ball. So both of those guys are bottom end quarterback twos for me. Cleveland's been a bit better, I think, on the running attack with the combination of Carlos Hyde, Duke Johnson, trying to get Nick Chubb involved. He's still not really involved. I, I think he's on the learning curve and, and, and slow to get on the field, unfortunately, for them. Marshawn Lynch and, and Doug Martin, I think either one of those guys, Marshawn Lynch may be a, a high-end running back, too, and I uh, Doug Martin may be a, a flex player at best, in my opinion. And, you know, looking at the wide receivers, you would think Oakland's wide receivers would be doing a lot better. They needed to to get that team moving the ball down the field. But we've seen so far we can't really rely on Amari Cooper or Jordy Nelson. Jordy Nelson actually showed up last week. He might be a, a, a wide receiver three or a flex play for you this week. Tight end. Jared Cook is the only guy that I really like on this, and he's a tight end too in my book this week. And then, you know, you look at, at Cleveland, Cleveland's got, and I found this out yesterday, it's not in Joku, it's Anjoku. It's not in, you, you don't say the in, you say Anjoku. So David Anjoku might be a tight end too for you. And then at the beginning of the year, Cleveland had a plethora of receivers. Jarvis Landry is the only one I can count on right now. Higgins is coming around. Callaway's a big play guy, but he's spotty. Jarvis Landry may be a wide receiver too for you this week. But again, I'm going to stretch out here, and I think Oakland is going to win. I'm going to go with the Browns on the road in this one. Baker Mayfield's true, true day as a starter, his 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 outright 
starting opportunities. Feels like they haven't played in forever because they played on Thursday. But, uh, you know, in this matchup, I like Baker Mayfield as a high-end quarterback, too. I think he's going to do some new things. And, well, I shouldn't say some good things. I don't know why I said new things. I think he's going to do some new things for Cleveland, which is called winning and getting the ball down the field. I know that this may be strange, but Browns fans, listen closely. The job of a quarterback is to complete passes down the field to receivers, be able to throw it long and get into that thing that's painted at the end called the end zone. I think Baker Mayfield's going to do that. I like him in this game. I like Carlos Hyde in this game. I like Jarvis Landry in this game. And David Joku, I uh, you know, I, I think he's a tight end too because he's been somewhat underwhelming, but he could squeak his way into a one. I, I'm kind of pleasant. I'm trying to be optimistic, but I'm I don't know if I'd lean on him to get me points, you know, it, like I'd lean on some of the other guys in the matchup. Derek Carr, I don't really like Derek Carr in this game. So, you know, I, I would keep him off if I had him on my roster. I just don't like him. I got a feeling Cleveland's going to make it happen. Marshawn Lynch, not bad to play as a running back, too. Amari Cooper is a letdown. Uh, Jordy Nelson's not bad out there. Jared Cook, maybe. If anybody feet to the fire, I'd say Jordan Nelson. Jordy Nelson, then Jared, then Amari Cooper. I don't draft Amari Cooper anymore because – he just doesn't do what he's supposed to do. I'm picking the Browns. You're picking the Raiders. All right, we're going to make this quick here. Seattle Seahawks and the and the Arizona Cardinals. What do you have for this? Yes, this is a game of some teams that I thought would have much better records and be further along here. David Johnson hasn't been getting it done, but they're trying to find ways to get him the ball. I'm still going to rank him as a number eight running back this week. And in PPR, you can, you can say he's probably eight, maybe seven on that same ranking. You know, the quarterbacks have been somewhat disappointing, but, you know, when you got the quarterback that, that they have uh, in Seattle, you can't go bad with Russell Wilson. So he's going to be a low-end quarterback one. He's usually a high-end quarterback one, but the entire team's been struggling a little bit here. That Chris Carson has finally shown up. He's fine. I think he's going to wrestle that that running back by committee thing away. I think he's going to be a guy, but he's still an RB2 this week. And, you know, the the attack through the air, Doug Baldwin's been dinged up. Tyler Lockett's shown up at least. Will Disley's been a surprise, although he wasn't one last week. He didn't score or really see much action last week. And then you look at the Cardinals. The Cardinals are trying to get some things done. They got the old man in Larry Fitzgerald that they can count on. They're struggling to get Christian Kirk or somebody else involved. So they better hope David Johnson does something, especially now that they're starting the rookie quarterback in Josh Rosen. And, of course, you don't want to start him. And there's no real tight end. Ricky Steeles-Jones, Jermaine Gresham. I don't think either one of these guys are worth starting for Arizona. And for the record, I do like – who do I like in this game? Do I like Arizona? Let me – hang on. I'm flipping the coin here. Hold on. Yeah, I'll go with Arizona in this game. Yeah, I'm picking Arizona in this game, too, because Seattle has only won at home, and they struggle on the road. They're not the team that they used to be. So, Rosen, watch him in this one. I'm excited. Not excited enough to play him, but I'm excited. I'm pleasantly optimistic. I like Christian Kirk in this game because Christian Kirk, I believe, is going to take over that starting that's that, that starting number one job. And when Larry hangs it up, probably after this year, I would look to that. So I like Christian Kirk in this. I like David Johnson. Chase Edmonds, if you got to go deep, somebody got hurt, you're going to the waiver wire free agency and you need a flex guy, I'm not against Chase Edmonds. I do like David Johnson in this one. Christian Kirk, my favorite Cardinal in this matchup. And then on the other side of it, Russell Wilson, he's hard to keep off. You know, I, I he doesn't wow me 
That's why at the end of the season, his statistics always make me kind of fall off my chair because I can't wrap my head around it. But, uh, you know, besides him and Tyler Lockett in this game, I'm not a huge fan of the Seattle team, and I'm not a huge fan of what they've been doing. I'm going to go with the Cardinals. Saints at the Giants, what do you have for this? Yeah, if you have Saints, go ahead and play them and play them with pride. They're all tops all the way across the board. Drew Brees, one of the top quarterbacks. Alvin Kamara, you know he's one of the top players in the league. He's also top fantasy running back. And Michael Thomas, also top uh, fantasy receiver. The only guy in question is Ben Watson. He's a top end, tight end, too. As far as the Giants, you know you got to start Saquon. He's a number five running back on my rankings this week. You know, I, I don't believe in Manning yet. You know, he's been trying to manage the team, and that's that's great, but it doesn't do well for your fantasy team. Odell Beckham, you got to play him. He's a wide receiver one. And, you know, I they had Evan Ingram grow, go down, and, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but if you look, Rhett Ellison stepped in nicely. I think he's going to be a surprise guy. So if you're really searching for somebody at tight end, go pick up some Rhett Ellison. Take a chance here with this guy. I think he's going to do better than people think. So, again, I like the Saints in this one. I think they're going to roll. All right, we got about eight minutes to go, so I'll run you quick through this one for me. I'm picking the Saints first and foremost in this game, and I'll agree with Mike on that one. Saints at the Giants. We know the Saints don't play defense, so that bodes well for the Giants to getting you, to get you some scores here. I think the Saints will win, but Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham Jr. are worth the play. Sterling Shepard is worth the look in this game. Outside of that, back to the Saints. I like Drew Brees. I like Alvin Kamara, Michael Thomas, and... It, 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 Cameron Meredith was all the way at the bottom, and now he's moved his way up the depth chart. I don't know what it means, but, I mean, hopefully there could be some good things that happen in this game. The Giants aren't really known for their shutdown defense. So I like Thomas, Kamara, and Breeze, and I would kind of just uh, keep an eye on uh, Traquan Smith and Cameron Meredith. I don't know if I'd tell you to play either one of them right now 100%, but if I had to put my feet to the fire, just like Kelvin Ridley last week, I think Cameron Meredith might have a surprising week this week for you. Chargers at home against the Niners. What do you have for this? Well, I'm going to make this real quick and simple. If you have a char- if you have a Niner on your team, don't start him. Except for Eric- except for George Kittle. George Kittle is my number nine tight end, but you know they're dinged up at running back, they're dinged up at quarterback, and that's going to affect their receivers. If you know if you have to play a receiver, go ahead. Marquise Goodwin showed up last week. Pierre Garcon. I'm still waiting. Pettis. I'm still waiting. So I, I don't I don't think you can start anybody. Alfred Morris is still dinged up. I think the Charger just. Chargers are going to dominate this game. I think Philip Rivers might be an outstanding quarterback one this week. And, you know, when you look across the board, Melvin Gordon is going to be a running back one. Keenan Allen, wide receiver one. Tyrell Williams I'm not sold on. Mike Williams is on the up, so I like him. Maybe a Virgil Green over an Antonio Gates because Antonio Gates hasn't been doing anything. So I definitely like the Chargers big time in this game. Yeah, I like the Chargers in this game, and really quick with it on both. I mean, Matt Breda, if you know, Breda's the only guy that I like on the side of San Francisco, and then I would give the nods to George Kittle as well, because when in doubt, when you're the backup quarterback, C.J. Beathard, what do you do? You run the ball and you throw to your tight end, so that's what I'm looking to on that side. On the other side, Phillip Rivers, Melvin Gordon, I like them in this matchup, and I would look to Mike Williams as a, as a wide receiver too, and I like Keenan Allen in the game as well, a little bit higher ranked than him. Ravens at the Steelers for Sunday Night Football. Yeah, I think this game's going to be the Steelers. 
these games are always close, these divisional games, especially between the Ravens and Steelers. They're usually decided by three points or less. A worrisome thing, uh, uh, Ben Roethlisberger admitting to putting an Academy Award performance when he got that head slap from uh, Pierre Paul to get the penalty, and I think we're going to see some more of that. But I, I'm wondering if the refs are going to be looking for that from Rodgers. But Le'Veon Bell's not back yet. James Conner's been doing an excellent job. He's a running back one. Roethlisberger's going to be a quarterback one this week. Antonio Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster, and James Washington. You can all play them, of course. Wide receiver one, two, and three, respectively. Vance McDonald looked like a man last week. Jesse James looked like a great guy the week before. So, I don't know. It might be a coin flip between those two guys for you, but I would give the edge to McDonald. He's the flavor of the week right now. And and for the Ravens, Alex Collins, he's a, he's a mid-range running back to Flacco. I don't know if you can count on him. Quarterback two this week. Crabtree's been if come maybe, not getting enough done, not scoring any touchdowns. I don't like that situation at all. Hayden Hurst back on the practice field. I got to see something first before I can play that cat. So I think Pittsburgh's going to win this game. Yeah, in this matchup for me, I got Pittsburgh in the game, winning the matchup. And as far as it goes here with the Ravens at the Steelers, you know, picking the Steelers at home in this, the Ravens defense, you know, people want to talk. And this is one of those things like we talked about earlier in the show today on Wake Up Call with Dan Satora uh, about, uh, you know, the rankings and who's in the rankings and why are they there and, and that people aren't looking at this year, but they're giving them clout for what they've done in the past. And you can't do that. You have to look at what they've done in the here and now and I think that's the Ravens people always say oh their defense their defense but they're not the defense that they used to be I you know Joe Flacco yeah had him as a quarterback too in this game Alex Collins a running back to lower end Michael Crabtree if someone's going to catch a touchdown I look for him to be the guy to do it but nobody's high end for me on Baltimore on the other side I like Ben Roethlisberger James Conner Antonio Brown Juju Smith-Schuster Vance McDonald and if you have to go flex James Washington final game Chiefs at the Broncos Monday Night Football what do you have? Yeah, even though this game's in Denver, and again, divisional game, even though this game's usually tight, I'm still going to go with the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs are going to win. to what the Chiefs have, I mean, it's just dominant compared to the other side of the ball. So Patrick Mahomes has been on fire. He's a high-end quarterback, one number one quarterback on my ranking. Kareem Hunt, every time he touches the ball, he does magic. He's a, he's a running back one. Uh, Tyreek Hill, fastest guy in the NFL. Sammy Watkins has been showing out. And you have one of the top tight ends. So, you know, all those guys are starters for you. And for the Broncos, they've been struggling a little bit. They've been struggling a little bit, but just enough to to, to win a couple games here. You know, Demarius Thomas, he's probably a wide receiver too this week. I, I don't see the value anywhere else, maybe in Emmanuel Sanders. He's about even with Demarius Thomas right now. No real tight end value. Philip Lindsay's got to keep his head in the game on special teams. He can't get thrown out of the game. They're not strong enough in the running attack to do without him. So look for a continued committee situation there, running back, and you can't really start Case Keenum, I don't think. Although the Chiefs' defense is suspect against the pass, so if you have to do a long shot, that may be your long shot there at quarterback, and again, I look for the Chiefs to win. 
Yeah, I'm looking for the Chiefs to win this game as well. Pat Mahomes has been putting on a clinic. I don't need to tell you, if you got Mahomes, then that's who you play. Pat Mahomes, Kareem Hunt, Tyreek Hill, I feel good about all of them. Travis Kelsey, he's been a little bit underwhelming, but still worth the play. I like each of them. That's a quarterback, running back, tight end, and wide receiver at each position, telling you to throw them out there. For Denver, you know, Phillip Lindsay and Royce Freeman, sometimes it feels like you're flipping a coin. I... Look at both of them as your flex or your lower end running back too. Demarius Thomas, if I'm going to pick anybody in the matchup, I guess I would lean on Demarius. Emmanuel Sanders, not a bad flex play, but Kansas City, you know, and, and that's because Kansas City doesn't play tremendous defense, but their offense is lights out, and I think that Kansas City is going to win the game. So that is week four of the NFL coverage. Mike Sofka, Hall of Fame, FantasyFootball.com. Check him out 24-7. And, of course, you can listen in to this show every Thursday starting around 10 a.m. Eastern time on MixLR.com backslash WakeUpCallDT inside a Wake Up Call with Dan Satora. And, as always, you can get right after the show on the audio archive, TuneIn Radio, the iTunes podcast, Podbean podcast, and so much more by searching Wake Up Call. Mike, as always, you're awesome. I appreciate it. All right. Talk to you next time. Thanks, Dan. Take care. That coming from Mike Sofka once again. want to thank everybody that was a part of the show today. want to thank Papa Joe as well as Katie Kalinske and Mike Oresco, the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference. I want to thank you for listening. And on Friday's show, the annoying moment of the week is coming up 9 a.m., probably presented by Carvel DeWitt. They have pumpkin ice cream now. Go get it. I just got a shake yesterday. We also will have significant sound bites with coaches throughout the ACC and the American Athletic Conference, including sound bites from Syracuse, and we'll have Collectible Corner with John Newman and Jordan Newman. God bless. Talk to you soon.